Our new partner who I'm really, really excited to announce we are working with. Super, super stoked. Thank you, Angie Huberman, for this connect. It's incredible. Uh, AG1 Athletic Greens. I've been using them for a while. I have them every morning on an empty stomach. Basically, take one scoop and you put it into a uh, cup or glass or mug of eight ounces of cold water. And this is all your greens for the day. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Every day I take this, it's so good for my digestion, my energy. It's simple. It's easy. I don't like taking a lot of vitamins. This has been really, really helpful for me. I've had a lot of stomach issues my whole life, and ever since I've been gluten-free and taking the AG1s, it's really helped me in my stomach in the mornings. I love it, and I'm so psyched that they're part of the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm sure a lot of people don't like eating greens, let alone drinking your greens, but I can tell you straight up, it's got a mild tropical taste, and the taste is actually really refreshing, and I really look forward to it each morning. Don't, don't think it's just going to be just straight bland. Um, it tastes really, really good, um, and it's good for you, so remember that. This one blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's incredible, just one scoop, especially for musicians who are vegans or just musicians in general who want to get those daily greens. You can get the packets. It's incredible. I just gave some to my friend Derek from Sepultura. He traveled the whole entire world this summer, and he had, he had those every single day. He said it saved him. I bring AG1s with me when I travel. It helps me stay healthy. You know the deal. If you're on tour and you are uh, a picky eater, but you need to have your greens, sometimes catering doesn't have greens. Sometimes you miss the catering. Sometimes you miss the backstage food. Sometimes it's too late after the show to go get food that you like. So if you just have a, a scoop of uh, AG1s in your hotel room before you go to bed or you're in the hotel room at night and you're starving and you want something healthy, boom, life changer. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with some convenient daily nutrition. That's all you need. One scoop in a cup every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. This is it. I'm super psyched. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash OLLC. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash OLLC to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This is incredible. I love it. It's just basic greens. For me personally, this has changed my life tremendously. I'm not a junk food vegan. I don't eat a lot of fake meat, so I'm strictly, strictly greens. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful new addition to my life. So once again, visit athleticgreens.com slash OLLC. And get one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Athleticgreens.com slash OLOC. Yo, yo, Liquid Death, thank you so much for hydrating all my guests, taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water, love your brand, love what you stand for, love what you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. So if you go liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. And if you want to get water, liquid death water, go to amazon.com. But for merchandise and other things that's not water, go to liquiddeath.com slash Toby and get free shipping. Thank you so much, Liquid Death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst, stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives. Welcome to the One Life Franchise Podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. Got my brother, Derek 
Green next to me. Thank you, Derek, for being here. Thanks for having me, Toby. And we have your friend on the pod today. It's my first time meeting him, but we're in the same vegan Illuminati world. Word. Um, <laughs> Mr. Paul DeGelder, thank you for being here, man. Pleasure, mate. We've been having great conversations before this pod even started Yeah, outside. I mean, a lot, a lot of questions. I know. I know where to begin with this guy. Well, you have like 500 pages of notes here. I so. do. Jeez. And I just found out he was an MC. We'll have to get to that later. <laughs> um, I guess we could take it back to the roots of uh, Australia. The roots. Yeah. The roots. Growing up, what part of Australia are you from? Um, complicated question. Ooh. Um, so I was born in a little town called Mornington Peninsula. Uh, for anyone that knows Damien Manda, who's uh, you know part of the Vegan Illuminati as well, he, uh, runs <laughs> yes, the indeed. International Anti Poaching Foundation in Zimbabwe. Uh, he's also born from there. Uh, born from there. He's also from there. Um, uh, little coastal town known for horse racing and wineries. Um, my dad was a cop, um, and he got posted to Canberra when I was ten. Canberra. That's the capital of Australia. It is the ACT, Australian Capital Territory. Um, and so me, my two younger brothers, my baby sister, mum and dad, we all shipped off to Canberra when I was 10. Uh, I got into tons and tons of trouble there, uh, and then moved to Brisbane, fondly referred to as Bris Vegas when I was, uh, on my 21st birthday. Did not know it had that title. Me either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a, part, a bit of a party town. Uh, got into some mischief there as well. Uh, and then <laughs> at uh, 23, joined the army and uh, was posted to Sydney and stayed there until I moved to America. So you know, Melbourne, Canberra, Brisbane, Sydney. Wow. Um, I did read you, you were, were a wild kid. Were you getting arrested and stuff like that too? Uh, I only got arrested twice. So for all of the criminal stuff that I actually did, that's pretty good. I um, Yeah, I... I what, kind of, what kind of shit were you into? Were you well, the things I got busted for was shoplifting. Um I got caught stealing, you know, it's stupid stuff. I, was, we didn't, I didn't have any money, and so I'm, like, stealing stuff to sell. I got caught with a Pierre Cardin tie I was selling to a friend of mine for his dad's Father's Day. and, and uh, <laughs> Pierre Cardin. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I still don't think I'm allowed in Grace Brothers, uh, which is it's kind of like, um, you know, what are the department stores here? It's like a Nordstrom's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Was it just a kid you were hanging out with? Uh, yeah, I feel like we are always a product of our our environment. Totally. Right? You know, we don't come up with this stuff really on our own. So, yeah. you know, smoking, drinking, weed, stealing, fighting—it was all you know partially because of the people I was hanging around with, partially because I was bullied and I was striking out, and mm. you know, I was self harmer as well for a little while. So it's it's the environment that you become a product of, um, and the environment, you know, home life, school life, the, your friends, your enemies, that sort of stuff. And I, it was a heady mix of just me getting into shit the whole time. Yeah, you have siblings. Yeah, two younger brothers and a little sister. And were they were they wild kids? Oh, so right? you're the oldest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Um, they, my brother under me wasn't so much but my brother under him sean he did end up following my footsteps um but not doing it as smart as me yeah. he got he got caught on 33 counts of break and enter wow. uh, he, fortunately the judge uh gave him the option of jail or the army and so he actually Whoa. that's why he ended up in the army first okay. and then my brother under me travis he joined the army and then years later i was like hey what do you think about me joining the army was and your father in the military cop yeah, he was a cop, but he was never. No, okay. no, my my uncle was uh, in Vietnam as a medic. Oh, uh, wow. Both wow. both grandparents on both sides served in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mum's parents were from England. So, my grandfather on that side jumped into Normandy on D Day 
uh, for World War Two, and uh, wow. Nana was part of the uh, Air Force, and then Dad's family. My uh, he, my grandfather from Dad's side was a merchant sailor, uh, running uh, supplies into Russian ports and stuff. And his ship got sunk by a Japanese submarine, and he spent a few days drifting through the Pacific, and then got rescued by an American ship where he served time as a cook, and ended up getting an American War Medal for that. Wow. So, yeah. This is all stuff that I didn't even know about this stuff until yeah. later after I joined the military. So yeah, there's this like oh. tradition through the family of serving. Were you, were your parents strict? Yeah, yeah. Dad was strict because he was a cop, but yeah. he wasn't always home. He was always at work and so mum was controlling four wild animals in the house <laughs> and so she, and she was a clean freak. Oh, like mm. the tassels at the end of the lounge room rug all had to be uniform. That's how bad it was. Like Wow. Yeah. Her friends used to come over and like run their fingers over every hidden surface to see if they could find dust. You know, it's like after after every shower, you've got to take your towel and dry oh, all the shower man, walls, and that's got to be in, yeah. It was, as a kid, it's yeah, it's it's suffocating. It's, yeah. That's like yeah. military vibes almost. Like yeah, strict. Right. And so between bed. school and that, and and you know, I, I ended up slashing my arms up for a while, just out of frustration because it felt like the only control I had in my life was causing harm to myself. Wow. Um, but no one ever really knew about it. Uh, so I hit it pretty well. And um, you were bullied in school? Like, wh- wh- what was your physique in school? Like, how, what was your deal? Uh, toothpick. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, dad was a swimming instructor as well. Yeah. Um, and so, we grew up swimming. I was a you know, almost state-level swimmer most of my life. But that doesn't have the regal that it does here. Um, yeah. But we also didn't have a lot of money feeding six people on a policeman's wage. And so, I was doing, you know, all of these training sessions and not having the fuel to build my body and not be hungry the whole time. And so I just, I was skinny my whole life yeah, and hungry. And, you know, then I'd break into people's lockers at school and steal their, their lunch money out of the, out of the gym <laughs> locker rooms. And cause I, I was hungry and I just wow. needed to eat. And so. But you would get bullied in school too? Yeah. I got bullied in school. Uh, big, I had huge ears um, because we had no fat on my body. So my ears, <laughs> I got car doors, satellite, you know, close the car doors. Uh, you fly away with those Dumbo, uh, oh, yeah. all that sort of stuff, and then yeah, you know, as you get older, it becomes more physical. Yeah, um, so that was pretty rough. But did you graduate from school? I did not. I flunked high school. Um, I I ended up doing uh, Muay Thai boxing. Uh, I had a growth spurt about sixteen. Did okay. Muay Thai boxing, got sick of the bullies, and then knocked out one of the school bullies. Yes, and so like in front of the whole school. So yeah, it coming. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I didn't get picked on after that, and neither did my brothers. But then I was like, oh shit, I can fight. And then drinking came along, and I was going uh, to an all boys Catholic school. Okay, and so that was. You know, it's harsh. It's just dudes. It was a big rugby school, but I was too skinny to play rugby. I was just terrible at all team sports. Um, (laughs) So it was just, (laughs) it was fucked up, man. (laughs) Those are the worst years of my life ever. Wow. Yeah, I I would never want to go back to that. Um, Then I left that school and went to another one. It was like an artsy school where you could smoke in the quad and you call the teachers by their first names. And so we'd go to school stoned. (laughs) And then on the weekends, we'd go steal boxes of wine and get shit face drunk and then go fight. And I I didn't win too many of those fights, but it was just an outlet. 
to go yeah. and be with a small group of friends and get drunk and fight and go to the nightclubs. You know, they had dollar dollar drinks at this place called Nights, a hip hop nightclub, and we'd get like our twenty bucks down there and just buy twenty drinks all at once, all together, and just go back to our tables with this tray of twenty drinks, twenty bourbon and cokes we'd called gut rot because it's like that syrup cola mixed oh, with the cheapest bourbon you could get, and so it's like. Every night you're throwing what, up. What, and it was, what made you even consider? How did I go from getting bullied in school to the army? Yes. Like, I, I mean, you had such a... We are back. Let's a, go. Let's you go. crazy... Uh, like, no discipline, it seemed. Like, oh, it gets, it gets like, crazier. Yeah, from a strict home life to go to more strict in the military. Well, I, I mean, but you were also running with some crazy deviants, and uh, it just seemed like you're kind of... Radical. No, I mean, it, why, it didn't feel like we were deviants. Okay, it, just, okay. it didn't feel like we were like bad people. I'm not saying you're bad. Like we, <laughs> we never picked. We never picked on anyone. We were never okay. bullies because we got bullies. You bullied so, you the know, bullies. Yeah, we. You know, we would never pick fights with people smaller than us yeah. or people that weren't out doing the same thing as us. But it was like where we grew up in Canberra. It was like these rolling drunken fights every weekend. Right. Yeah. Right. It was, and it was yeah. there was a lot of racial stuff going on as well. It was oh, the the Serbs fighting the Croatians, mm. the Macedonians fighting the I can't remember who they fought it was like some other group right. it was the Tongans fighting the Samoans oh. you know, it was always like groups and then you know us white kids getting caught in the middle of a bunch of them um, but it, it kind of like I'd moved I flunked out of high school uh, I got kicked out of home um, because I was setting a, a very bad, bad example, example for right. my younger siblings and yeah. dad just called me at my friend's house one day and said come and get your shit and fuck off I'm wow. sick of this shit how old were you then? Uh, I would just turn eighteen. Okay, um, and it was fair. It was a yeah, hard, a right. hard pill to swallow, but absolutely fair, and probably one of the better things you could have done for me. Uh, I did go into a bit of a hole for a while. I was living with two Indonesian girls that took me and friends from school, uh, and I just basically ate their leftover Indonesian food and smoked bongs and cigarettes, and yeah, I was just a huge, huge waste of oxygen. You had no goals or anything. At that I point. didn't even know what goals to have. Like there was no right. guidance growing up for me. Okay. Like there was no, you know, there was always the question, what do you want to do when you grow up? But there was no guidance. There was no like, this is what you can do. If you study hard in this, you can do this. It was right. like, all I knew was, okay, there's police, there's like doctors, uh, there's vets. Like my, my field of view of what the possibilities in the world were yeah. for work was so small. Mm. I didn't know how to put direction into anything yeah. and then I, there was nothing i was interested in either because life just sucked it yeah. just everything just sucked at that point in time and you know partially maybe mostly by my own doing um yeah. but there was no communication in my house it was just you know it wasn't a wonderful environment to grow up in was your dad like uh, tough love kind of thing uh, my parents did uh, they tried to do a good job it's not their fault, right? You know, they, they, you, gr you raise kids the way that you were raised, very, very True. much so. Yeah. Um, until I feel like it's better now because we're just more open-minded people. Um, yeah, you know, we have the information available through internet and TV and all that sort of stuff. But then they didn't have any of that. Yeah. It was just you raise your kids the way you were raised, and th both their parents were extremely strict. Um, so not their fault at all. I, right. Like I love them to death. I, I now I'm because I'm living out here mm -hmm. and I don't see them very often. I split my military pension between the two of them to help them out and try and you know, make their lives a little bit it's better awesome, for wow. the things they sacrificed for me. They still together? No, no, they're separated. Okay. Um, but was there like a turning point where you're like, okay, military? Like how did that even come into play? Remember like, military, military or jail? 
That well, that came uh, years later. So I I just about to turn twenty one. I'm okay. still in Canberra. I'm selling weed. I got all these people turning up on my doorstep that I don't know. I'm smoking weed. I'm like working hospitality. So you know we're doing lines of multicolored speed or whatever it was powder wow. off the kegs of beer out the back we're doing ecstasy on the weekend we worked at a, a restaurant slash bar so we knew all the bartenders so we're drinking for free every weekend yeah. like it was just a train wreck yeah and it all came to a head one night when i went to a farewell for a friend of mine and he was being deported out of the country back to papua new guinea because uh, he got into too much crime and i got jumped by 20 dudes uh, yeah um they were i don't mean this to sound bad but they were all asian so it wasn't as bad as if it was like big dude they're all pretty right. small guys right um so you know i i did get a beating um i got out of reason there, what happened yeah yeah uh, <laughs> so just so this little indian kid tried to get me to buy him a beer and i said no and he took offense to that and I told him to fuck off and he threw a beer at me. And so I stood up to have a go at him because you know, I'm not going to stand for that. And then some of his friends popped up. I broke one of their friend's nose with an elbow and turns out they were there with a big group of other people. Wow. Yeah. And so I just you know, stood my ground as much as I could. Uh, ended up in the fetal position, got rescued by one of the Papua New Guinean uncles and I just got out of there. Um, wow! And my buddy who ran the bar at the nightclub we were working at, he's like, "Hey, have you noticed these cars of Asian dudes driving past the house frequently?" I'm like, "Fuck!" So I made a decision: like, if I stay here, I'm going to be dead or in jail by the time I'm 23. And you know, like, I knew that there was this big, amazing world out there. Okay, yeah. like I lived in books as a kid. Oh, like, okay. That was my so, escape. That's awesome. right. Always read, constantly read, love movies, love Steve Irwin, love David Attenborough, Valerie Taylor, you know, people that you guys wouldn't have heard of, the Leyland Brothers and Albie Mangles, like adventurers. Yeah. And so I knew that there was this big world out there, but I didn't know how to be a part of it. And I wanted that so badly. That, you know, that's why I was getting into all the trouble. I, I was wanting adventure. Right. Yeah. So... I threw everything I owned into this tiny little Suzuki car. They don't even make anymore. They're so small. Um, and without a license, I drove 12 hours to Brisbane. <laughs> without a license? Yeah, had no license. Uh, <laughs> drove, drove 12 hours to Brizzy. Um, and my mate, Matt, that I had grown up with in Canberra, he'd moved up there like the year before to um, work as a DJ. Okay. And so he got me a job um, working behind a bar in the strip club that he was DJing at. Gotcha. And I fell in with his American friends that were involved in the hip-hop industry. Yeah. And so I became a bartender at a, at a strip club and a rapper. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so um, were you already into hip-hop growing up, too? Yeah, I okay. loved it. That was okay. all I listened to. You know, yeah. when, when mum was treating me like shit or yelling at me, it was like, body counts, mum has got to burn tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, when dad was pissing me off, it was WC and the Mad Circles, fuck my daddy. Wow. wow. WC, yeah. bro. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved it. I had 400 cassettes. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so loved it. And I, I'd written a little bit with my friends in Canberra, um, but then it you know, went to a whole nother level. Uh, in 98, we opened for Snoop Dogg when he came to Australia. Uh, Yo. <laughs> It was it was a good time, you know. What was your, what was your name? What you call uh, yourself? I didn't call myself this. They just called me Papal. Uh, what does that mean? Wait. Uh, it was like uh, <laughs> the guy the guy that was running it was like, oh, it sounds like Jay Z saying Papaws in some of his songs. He's like, sounds like he's saying Papal, and uh, yeah, that just kind of stuck. Uh, up until that, I didn't have a name. You know, it wasn't right. 
How are your skills? Is there video footage of this stuff or not? I am the only one that has the VHS footage of the Snoop concert, <laughs> but my song is still on Spotify. No. Yeah. What's the song called? It's called Smoke listen. and Hydro. Oh, no oh fucking yes. way, dude. <laughs> so I, I do the first two verses, and my friend Chris from the Cook Islands, he's an Islander kid, he does the last version. And I have to always say that when I've told people because he drops the end bomb at the end of the song. And I'm like, oh, I don't want okay. anyone thinking this is me, right, the whole right. song, okay. white guy. I did not say that. Okay, respect, respect. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> he's, a, he's a brown islander guy, felt like right. he could say it. So. Just to clarify for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah, if anyone <laughs> listens to it, Smoking Hydro, Spotify. So are you, are you playing shows leading up to the Snoop Obviously, you get a name out there for rhyming? And yeah, stuff? yeah. Wow. We, were, we, were, we were doing fundraising to record EPs and things like that. So we're throwing our own concerts. We ran a, um, a hip-hop night at the local nightclub every Saturday called The Gig. Uh, like, had a fat old time, but not a lot of money in white rappers in Australia in, yeah. in 1998. Yeah. And I'd quit the strip club to focus on the music. And but but it, it seems like music was almost like kind of a, a saving point or totally in a way, so. or was it? Not really. No. Because you're still on the streets. <laughs> there were crazy. no saving points. Okay, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> the, the saving point was the army. Okay. Um, like, like I said, not a lot of money in it. There okay. was probably 12 of us in the group. Like, like a white Wu-Tang thing? Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> I was, except, I, no, I was the only white one. Okay, oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. So there was like two uh, Filipino dudes, a Malaysian chick, a Sri Lankan guy, a Latino American guy from New Jersey, a white <laughs> American guy from Pasadena, um, my buddy John, who's Chilean, um, wow. and, and, then, and then white. Was there a name of the group? Uh, it was named after the radio show, uh, Flavors Radio Show. So it was FRS International. Okay, I like it. Um, That's crazy, bro. It was it was good fun for a while, but just the the financial constraints started yeah. taking hold, and the guy that was kind of running it, Jordan, he was like smoking more and more weed and becoming more unpredictable, and he started like becoming violent, uh, and so I I just dipped out. A couple of guys followed me as well, and I was working. Uh, behind a bar in a restaurant and I had two of my best friends from Canberra from school come up and they were living me with me as well. And a couple of years later, I was just thinking, is this all there is? You know, this, there's got to be more to life than this. I get up, I go to the restaurant, I go home, I go to bed. Yeah. Like this fucking sucks. I hate it. And so I thought deep and hard about it, really sort of like put myself into that vulnerable place position of looking at what life was going to be yeah you know my my boss offered me a bar manager's position and i looked at the bar manager and he was this skinny pale white dude smoking cigarettes living in the suburbs and i was like no fucking way mm. and so i called my brothers and they were both in artillery at that point in the mm. army oh. and they said hey what do you think about me joining the army and they laughed so hard they're like no fucking way and they're like look it's pretty good. Like you get paid to travel, you get paid to play sports, you get paid to yeah. hang out with mm -hmm. your friends, we get to blow shit up. It's a pretty good life. But don't join infantry. Wow. Okay. It's too hard. We know you. It's too hard for you. You won't make it. Damn. So the next yeah. day I joined infantry. Oh. Fucking awesome. I love and that. Became a paratrooper. So whoa, whoa, whoa. Wow, so dude. So once you were in, I mean 
Yeah, that went joking. It was fucking hard. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> it like, was bullshit hard. Right. Enough for the reasons that you would think. Like physically, you know, there wasn't, there was no drinking. There was no smoking bongs. There was right. none of that stuff. So all of that swimming training came back to me after yeah. a couple of weeks. And I was like killing everyone at all the physical stuff. Pack marching, the, the obstacle courses, the running, the push-ups. No worries. Wow. But like I, I also don't hide my emotions very well. Yeah, I was going to say being told what to do yeah how did that well like i literally rebelled against discipline my whole life right and i'd voluntarily surrounded myself with the most disciplined crazy people on the planet right and so there was a lot of like neck twitching and (laughs) 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 like the first morning we got there they played this song called i was only 19 um, oh, it's okay. a that song about 19, Vietnam. 19, mm. 19, yeah, I was I only 19. Um, song about Vietnam from Australia. And we're all, so first morning, all of us are laying in our bunks and stuff. You're hearing this song and you're like, you're feeling the vibe of the song. It's very emotional. And at the end of it, they open up with a machine gun in the hallway filled with blanks. And you just, like, your whole, your soul leaves your body. Like, it's, wow, <laughs> you're man. so terrified. And that kind of set the scene for the next uh, 10 weeks. Um, and so I, I wanted to run away. Like I always had, I wanted to get the fuck away from there as quick as possible, but that had never worked for me in the past. And so I thought, okay, I I need a different tact. Mm. I need to change my perception of the situation that I'm in instead of trying to change my situation. Maybe, maybe I'm the problem. (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah, right and so yeah. i can't run away because i'm taking my the problem with me yeah um and so i just i tried to focus on the things that i did enjoy i didn't like being in the hot ass australian sun on the parade ground for hours learning to march and do formations uh but i like throwing grenades yeah okay. you know yeah i like the physical <laughs> fitness i like shooting gun i like shooting a machine gun and so i tried to focus on all of that good stuff and eventually time passes and you just get through it right. um and then you go off to infantry course which is you know it's another step up there's no girls there it's just dudes mm. teaching dudes how to be farting spitting swearing soldiers uh <laughs> And so I got through that and my fitness was like killing it at that point. And then I got shipped off to Sydney to be a paratrooper and I stayed there till 2005. You got to decide or were they like, you should be a paratrooper? It was pretty good. At the end of the training, they gave us three options that you wrote down on paper. And it was like, there's not a lot of options. Okay. You know, I didn't know much about the different battalions for mm. infantry. They're all numbered. It was like one RAR. RAR stands for Royal Australian Regiment. One RAR, two RAR. They joined two, so it was five, seven RAR, six RAR, four RAR. So basically, each one has their own specifics. There's like mechanized, there's motorized, there's you know commandos, there's airborne. And so I chose... Six, so I could go back to Brisbane to be near my friends. But then the company sergeant major came around and said, who here wants to jump out of a plane? (laughs) I'd never been accused of doing anything too smart. So I'm like, hell yeah. Put my hand in the air and he's like, congratulations. You're going to be a paratrooper. And I thought to myself, yeah, that sounds badass. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and then 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 you're jumping out of a plane in the middle of the night with a 100-pound pack tied to you and you can't see the ground and you're just thinking this was a terrible choice oh my god but a lot of fun i was very fortunate i never got injured now when the the army parachutes aren't like normal parachutes there's no controls on them yeah and that some of them have holes in them to direct your travel and you look up and it literally looks like someone's attacked your canopy with a cigarette 
And you come in, it comes in at 4.6 to 6.4 meters per second. So that's like four, four meters is 12, like three, four is 12. So t- between 12 and 15 feet a second. Okay. Yeah. So you come wow, in hard. Yeah, hard. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I never got injured. I loved it. I had a secret technique whereby I just assumed the position that you're trained to get into, and then I closed my eyes. Okay. My <laughs> secret that technique. was your secret? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Close your eyes, take a big deep breath, and relax. How many jumps do you think you've had? Oh, yeah. Uh, not that many. Probably 27. Okay. Uh, I've actually done that's more freefall parachute uh, jumps in the last uh, three years than mm-hmm. I did that. So I, I had to get a um, my freefall um, parachuting license for a show that I shot you know, about three years ago. And so I've done probably 60 jumps, 60, 70 free fall jumps wow. now. Do you remember your first jump with the military? Um, yeah, tour, in, in training, yeah. yeah. They you, they build you up slowly. You go from like single person out of one side of the door, no gear, nothing like that, um, to like the the first battalion jump I did was the whole battalion. So like 400 dudes into oh into the the middle of the bush uh, in the middle of the night so it's called full ce sim doors at night so you've got both sides of the hercules open and then everyone has all of their gear attached to them and you're literally just peeling out of both sides of the airplane and there's probably six airplanes going all at once that's they, insane they have this, like uh, falling on top of people like kind of yeah yeah um <laughs> the when you if you land and you get injured they give you glow sticks um, okay. that you crack a red yeah. glow stick yeah. if you're injured. And so I remember looking out of the window and going, oh, that's so nice. They've lit up the drop zone for us. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's red, that's red siloing. <laughs> so they had, we had this T-shirt made up after that exercise. Um, it was called Exercise Tandem Thrust. We renamed it Exercise Anal Thrust. And <laughs> the back of the T-shirt had the list of all of the injuries. It was like five broken backs, 36 broken ankles. Oh, yeah, oh but Battalion God. HQ banned that T-shirt very quickly. It became a, <laughs> became a collector's item if you could get it. Holy shit. Oh my God. What, what was your eating like back then? Were you, were you a heavy oh, yeah. eater and stuff too or no? Yeah, yeah. Eat yeah. basically anything they put out. Uh, yeah. I learned very quickly, become friends with the medics and the cooks. You know, because you're allowed to, you know, they'll give you extra food. Like, it's kind of like prison, I guess. Right. Yeah. But, they, you know, I was great friends with the cook, so I was allowed to have two poached eggs, you know, two <laughs> pieces of bacon, whereas everyone else was only allowed to have one. You know, I'd buy them beers on the weekend and they look after you. So <laughs> I was just, yeah, I was eating whatever I could get my hands on so I could, because we were burning so much energy. I'm sure. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. You know? um, but yeah, I didn't, had no idea about nutrition whatsoever, except don't eat junk food. And, you yeah, mm-hmm. and you're pretty great shape at that point too. Yeah, yeah, it was really good shape. Um, I was still I was smoking at that point though, mm, um, especially wow. out in the field because it's you don't have any creature comforts, and so that cigarette when you're cold and hungry and dirty and smelly is like that one little gift that you've got. Yeah, uh, and then going out of the weekends, we get sh- there's a big culture of drinking in, in the Australian military. So every weekend was going out and getting absolutely shit lockered, uh, and I probably smoke a packet of cigarettes on the weekend as well. Yeah. Um, so it was it was good because I was still young and training every day, but it could have been immensely better. Yeah. And how long are you in there for? Uh, I joined November 2000, and I switched to the Navy in October. Uh, I think it was October or August 
Why okay. did you want to switch to the Navy? Um, I just got bored. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I was sick of being dirty and smelly and, you know, not, I didn't want to get promoted. Like, okay. I didn't, never saw my career being in the army. I didn't want to get promoted. And um, uh, I was supposed to go to Iraq and they canceled my trip four days before I was supposed to leave. And I was just like, that, well, that was all I wanted to do. I wanted to do my job for real. Enough right. of this training. Let's go do the job. And they canceled it. And I was like, that just crush my motivation to be yeah. in the army anymore and my work ethic slipped and I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I discovered these dudes called the clearance divers. The bomb disposal divers? Yeah, it's yeah. a lot broader than that, um, but that's one of the roles. And I, like, no one looks at these guys directly, just sort of goes, oh, shit, look at this, those guys. And I was like, why, well, why can't I be one of those guys? Right. You know, I was wondering, why, what's stopping me from being someone in my industry that other people look up to? You know, what's so special yeah, yeah. about them? I want to be that. And so I was like, fuck it, I'll give it a go. Like, what have I got to lose? And so I went and tried out. Um, I got signed on to the first phase of the course, which is ship's divers. Um, it's a th- three-week course where you learn to scuba dive, military scuba dive, and then also search uh, seabeds and hulls of ships for bombs. Uh, so wow. pretty you really are great swimmers so that are yeah you don't really need to swim okay uh, mm. no it's you don't need to be a great swimmer because it's all diving uh it's totally different and they okay you know it, learning i'd never scuba dived in my life i'd also never tried to search for bombs really yeah. um <laughs> so it was a pretty steep learning curve plus trying to learn to be in the navy and i passed that course by the skin of my teeth and then I went back to the army base for a while, um, waiting for the selection course for to go on to training to become a clearance diver. Um, and so finally that came around. It took about 12 months of just oh, deep yeah. breathing and waiting and waiting and trying to train while still going out bush. And then I got my chance to go on selection and it's renownedly hard. It's 10 yeah. days of just physical, mental and emotional anguish. Uh, and I ended up passing that. So wow. I, I dropped about 15 pounds, 70% of my course quit. Uh, most of those guys quit on the first day. Oh, my um, first day. Yeah. Yeah. They just crush you. And they just, yeah. like. <laughs> did you feel like you had something to prove to your family at that point? You were going so hard, like your brothers didn't think you should have did the thing in the first place? L- literally or? hadn't talked to my family in years. Wow. Yeah, I didn't really care. Um my my youngest brother, yeah, because he was his artillery unit was attached to my airborne unit. Okay. So I'd see a bit of him. Um, he was a bit of a. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't really want to get him in trouble. No, so, that's all. <laughs> but basically, when I turned up to the army battalion and I was walking to the mess to get lunch one day, this kid saw my name bar to Geldo and he looked at me, and he goes, "Are you Big Johnny?" And I'm a little confused because my brother's name's Sean. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, he looks scared. Because I'm if like my brother was so bad that if I was the older brother, I must be absolutely <laughs> w- way so. He's like, oh my God, it's so good to meet you. And I'm like, what the fuck is Sean getting himself into? Wow. wow. Uh, I found it out later. And it wasn't all bad. Some of it was good. Like, but... Whew. <laughs> he made a name for himself. Now, now, basically, at some point, everyone knew a DeGelder in the Australian military because my sister then joined as well. Oh, so wow. there was four of us floating around the country. Um, wow. She's my hero. She's an Iraq, Afghanistan veteran. Wow. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, joined as an enlisted medic. Now she's an officer nurse. Uh, oh, yeah, she's wow. awesome. That's so cool. Uh, happy incredible. birthday, Jackie. It was her birthday the other day. Um, 
And so I passed selection course. Then you go on to 37 weeks of training to learn to be a clearance driver. And that's everything from learning to drive the jet boats, the dive boats, um, maritime tactical operations. So doing reconnaissance, diving in the middle of the night on oxygen rebreathers, um, (laughs) fast roping onto moving platforms, underwater mine disposal, land-based explosive ordnance disposal, underwater hard hat diving on like underwater tools like chainsaws, welding, um, explosive tools. Uh, Wow. Yeah, it was a broad role. Uh, it was really cool. Yeah. And then you can also go off and join uh, what's called TAG, which is the Tactical Assault Group, which then puts you into the Special Forces realm where you're working with the commandos doing the domestic counterterrorism, basically wearing gas masks, black, u- black uniforms, kicking indoors, killing terrorists. Wow, man. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> you know a lot. You yeah. do a lot. It, uh, it definitely <laughs> shitted on being an infantry soldier. <laughs> I mean, we'll get to the we'll get to this moment later. But when you're doing all this diving and stuff, do you do you, do you see any sharks out there? Do you see any? I saw one harmless shark that got caught in our lines. That we were that like, was it the whole time. That was it. We that dove stuff. down, unwrapped it, set it free, and that was it. That's all I'd seen. Wow! But man. we get bumped in the middle of the night because a lot of the diving we do is in super murky water where right. you can't even see your hand in front of your face, or it's at night. Where you can't see shit. Yeah. You know, I remember diving one night doing a reconnaissance mission, and I look across to me, and I can't see my body at all, but I can see the luminescent algae that is hitting his body. So I can oh. see this bright green outline of his body in bioluminescent algae. Yeah, that which shit's was creepy. Beautiful. It was but beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. But then you know something bumps you in the middle of the night, and you're like, oh, it's just a stick. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't want to think about it, yeah. yeah. Definitely wasn't a crocodile. <laughs> definitely wasn't a sea snake. Uh, you know, we've got Australia's got the deadliest octopus in the world, two of the deadliest, deadliest jellyfish there. in the world, deadly Jesus. sea snakes, sharks. You know, everything, ev- everything. Yeah. So. so, how long are you doing the Navy stuff until like 2009 when the actual thing happens to you and you're diving? From 2000, mid 2005 to February 2009, um, yeah. and then that February I turn up to work. Doing a simple job. It was nothing special. Uh, it was like classified as a counter-terrorism exercise, but literally just swimming from point A to point B in the harbor right next to the Navy base. And okay. this is a place where we've worked for decades, doing training, fixing ships, all that sort of stuff. And you're pretty satisfied with what the course that you've taken so far. Like doing- I was, but... They also would try, I got to the point where I, they were trying to promote me. Right. And I didn't want to get promoted because if you get promoted, then you stop diving, then you've got to supervise the dives. Then you're doing paperwork. And, yeah. You know, it's yeah. only like less diving, less action from there on up. Um, and so I loved doing my job. I just wanted to dive and play with explosives and go and have fun with the boys on exercise and that. So, and you had no fears of the ocean, the sharks, or nothing. Terrified of sharks. Okay. okay. Every single time I got in the water. Okay. It, like, right. Okay. Okay. My buddies would fucking pin pictures of great white sharks on my locker and say we, oh, we oh, saw that okay. in the harbor the other day just okay. to, just to mess with me okay um so yeah so this is something always on your mind yeah okay yeah. ever right. since dude i was a good swimmer because every time i was in the pool in a race a shark was chasing me okay <laughs> that was your motivation yeah, yeah. Okay. absolutely yeah if it wasn't a shark it was you know that movie that came out after jaws Piranha. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. piranhas got in the pool, so then there was piranhas chasing me. You're like, okay, so no one's is... gonna beat you when piranhas are chasing you. So this is actual fear of yours. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But wow, I, I have a mission 
you know so i put the fears to the back of my of mind and i just focus all of my mental acuity on the job at hand mm-hmm. you know I've, I've got bombs and buddies and tools and all that shit to worry about so just don't worry about the sharks so this is a normal day it's it's daytime morning it was like seven o'clock in the morning okay. overcast so february is like the hottest um the hottest month in australia usually yeah. uh but it was overcast and yeah, I just I rolled over the edge of the Zodiac. We were in, me and three of my teammates. Uh, one of the guys was still asleep in the bottom of the boat because he'd been out drinking all night. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> and we had the new guy, and I just pulled the new guy out of the water and thought I'd give him a break, and I rolled over and I start swimming from, you know, on the surface on my back, black wetsuit, black fins, and within about five minutes, uh, I just get this huge thunk in my leg. And I don't think too much of it didn't really hurt and right. i just think maybe the guys got too close in the boat my ears are full of water i can't hear it or it was a log I'm, i don't know you couldn't see anything uh well i was i was looking in the other direction so okay. i was on my back but i was making sure that i was still headed towards the bow of the warship i was supposed to be okay. going to so i wasn't looking when it hit me okay and then i feel it and i turn around and there's just this massive gray head and eye staring at me Dude. and i don't like my brain can't process it Right, I've never seen it before. Right. So it's kind of like, how do you, when you see something like that for the first time, you your brain is like, you're in shock. Right, it's right, like, yeah. It's like your brain's got Tourette's. So the fuck, shit, shock. So now it's just looking at you and it's yeah, on you. Yeah. Um. And so instantly, I think I've seen Shark Week. I've seen the Crocodile Hunter. Go for the eyeball. So I use my. I can't move my arm though. And I'm like, why won't my arm move? Dude. And I look down and I can see the teeth embedded into my wrist. And every time I pull my arm, I can see the skin starting to tear. And I can see the teeth all along my thigh embedded, teeth embedded into my wetsuit. And so I think left hand and I, I reach over, but because it's got me by the back of the leg, I can't, the angle is just weird. I can't reach the eye. So I grab the nose instead and I'm trying to push that off me, but that just pushes the teeth of the lower jaw deeper into the other side of my leg and so the last thing i think of is punching in the nose right and this is all like this is all in the blink of an eye this is like a second all this is happening and you can watch it it's on youtube you can actually watch me getting eaten no way are you serious it was being filmed for the exercise and then 60 minutes did a show on it and they got the footage uh oh my god yeah um so it's lasts about eight seconds from go to woe so you punch him no, as soon as I tried to, I cocked back. As soon as I tried to punch it, it started shaking me. And the oh, pain was oh so God. incredible that every single ounce of fight went out of me. And it took me it's underwater. Like, like, like a, yeah. 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 Just shook me like a rag doll. Like this is a nine to ten foot bull shark. Made a muscle in its element and it took me underwater and I'm I'm upside down basically. You can see my my fins uh, thrashing on the top of the water. It's horrifying. My head man. comes yeah, up. Yeah. I take a breath. I go back down, and it just keeps shaking the shit out of me. So it was trying to bring you under. Uh, it was just. It was just shaking me, right. like trying to get the the flesh out of my body. And I'm drowning. I'm in agony. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going home today. Right. I'm going to die right now. And it was like everything just went into hyperdrive, like my whole brain and thought process and everything. And I remember thinking. Are you ready to die? And I looked back on everything, all those stories that I like just told you yeah. to who I had become and all of the amazing things that I'd done. And I, I thought, well, I've lived 
more lives, more great lives now than I probably deserve. And I have absolutely no regrets because I turned everything around. Yeah, 100%. So if I'm going to die, then I'm ready to go. And I let go waiting for death. And it felt, I felt calm. And I felt like this wasn't the end. I feel like this is just at the beginning of another adventure. And all of a sudden, the shark's teeth met in the middle of my leg, ripped off my hand. And because my wetsuit made me buoyant and I wasn't attached to the shark anymore, I popped to the surface. And air instantly went into my lungs. The shark thrashed its tail, like swimming away. And the water splashed me in the face. And I realized, fuck, I'm not dead. And I saw my oh, safety oh, boat. Shit. I saw my safety boat. And I thought, i got to get out of here before another shark comes back. Because yeah, I'm like, it's going to smell. There's got to the be blood in the water. Yeah. You know, the, the, another shark, that shark. Uh, so, so I start swimming and I take a stroke. And my right arm comes out of the water. And my arm ends at the end of my wetsuit. And I got no hand. And so I, my medical training kicks in and I, I keep that arm out of the water above my heart to try and stem some of the bleeding, not knowing how bad my leg was and that I was actually swimming through a pool of my own blood with one hand and one leg um, back to the safety boat. And Dude. Yeah, it was a big day at work. <laughs> I this is unreal. Yeah. Because you see a million movies and this shit happens, you know what I mean? Like... So what are the other guys doing in the bar? Are they freaking yeah. out. They scream like. Well, the guy a- asleep, hungover, wakes up, okay. <laughs> to the worst scene he could possibly imagine. Oh <laughs> Brother, are the guys on the boat too? Like coming to you or? Is- yeah, so I was the only one in the water. We were the only ones really operating in that area. So it was just my three teammates in that little inflatable boat, and they they saw the thrashing and the fins, so they're gunning it towards me as well. But they're like four or five hundred feet away. Oh, so it's yeah, taking okay. them time to get to me while I'm swimming extremely slowly with one <laughs> hand and one leg. Um, they finally get to me. They grab me and they pull me into the boat. I can imagine them pulling yeah. you up and seeing what you yeah. look like. Oh, my look- buddy said I look like I had been bitten half. Um, because I was like, it, I was just my body and my legs were at some weird, impossible angle. Right. And he's like, "What the hell?" He, he was worried that uh, they were going to pull me in, and part of my body was going to fall away. Yeah. And so he worked it so some of the the three of them together lifted me out of the water as one entire piece. Um, they put me in the bottom of the boat. Uh, I passed out. I was okay. like, uh, I was yeah. like, I'm safe, thank right. God, and passed out. <laughs> Tomo, my little Papua New Guinean buddy, decides that I'm going into cardiac arrest and the only way to wake me back up is start stimulating my heart by, you know, we call it a series of short, sharp jabs um, into the heart area and it works and I wake up and I look over and my hands ripped apart, freshly bitten off by a shark and I look up and Tomo's beating the shit out of me and I just think, today sucks. (laughs) I get my priorities in order and I'm like, okay, Tomo, can you make sure someone looks after my motorbike? I don't think I'm riding home today. And he just shakes his head at me and goes, shut the fuck up, Paul. You're dying. Just don't die, okay? (laughs) So I stay awake through everything, um, thinking that if I close my eyes at all, if I can't see Tomo, if I can't hear him, then I'm going to die. And so all I do is focus on cracking jokes and trying to stay alive um, while I'm bleeding out in the boat. And how long is that mission from that yeah. moment to the hospital, do you think? Um, well, the problem was that the wharf, the big concrete wharf at the Navy base was 10 foot high. And so getting me from that inflatable to the wharf was a problem. Um, they found a pontoon, a big like floating work deck yeah. that they could get me onto there, but then they couldn't get me up onto the wharf. And so my chief, 
um, who was in charge of the day and all the scientists that were there conducting the experiment, they ran off and found a work site, got some workmen to come over and they basically built a ramp of sorts to get me 10 foot up from the pontoon up to there. So that probably took 10 minutes at least. Then it took another 10, 15 for the paramedics to get there, in which time um, I I was dying. You know, the the boat was an inch deep in my blood. Uh, I'd severed an artery. One of the new guy that I pulled out of the water, he actually had to spend ten minutes with his hand inside my leg, pinching closed an artery. So, yeah. holy shit! So, pr- pretty big day for everyone. Yeah, for him too. Yeah. <laughs> holy shit! And then, luckily, the hospital was only ten minutes up the road. So I got wheeled into emergency surgery. I'm on the gurney. You're awake like, the whole time. All yeah, getting yeah. There. Like I nearly died in the ambulance because I'd lost so much blood I couldn't breathe. And so the paramedic had to coach me through breathing exercises, like just take tiny little breaths. And then yeah. when I got enough energy, take one big breath, flood your body with oxygen, and then go back to... And I was just fading. Um, and they... The drugs kicked in eventually. They couldn't give me much because my blood yeah. pressure was so low. And I'm getting wheeled into emergency surgery straight from the ambulance. And the doctor's running alongside me. And I'm like, hey, doc, I just started surfing. I'll buy you a case of beer if you save my leg. Oh, <laughs> it's my such a, it's a military thing. Like right. every favor you do, you help someone move, case of beer. Okay. You, know, you, <laughs> <laughs> you drive them home drunk, case of beer, that sort of thing. So I was like, doc, case of beer if you save my leg. Um were you so in shock to even be scared at that point, or just you trying to just? I was just trying to tough it out. Yeah, right, right. yeah. I, I didn't actually didn't know how bad my leg was at that right. point. I had no idea. Uh, when I got into the boat, I wanted to look at my leg, but I knew that if it was horrific, I would go into shock and yeah. I'd die. Yeah. And so I just didn't look. Um, so the training, man, the training saved me. You know, the training of myself, the training of my, my teammates, um, that laser-like focus, the fact that I was so incredibly fit. You know, like I ran a race for the Navy over 100 kilometers up and down the biggest mountains in Tasmania, and I only did two 15-kilometer warm-up runs for that, and I beat everyone on my team. Wow. So I was like, my body was just a machine. Uh, so that everything came into play to help me stay alive. Um, and through the worst day of my life has come the greatest blessings. Yeah. How long are you in the hospital for? Uh, nine weeks. Nine weeks. Yeah. I had my leg for the rest of my leg for a week, but the shark had removed my entire hamstring and 25 centimeters of the sciatic nerve. And so not only could I not move it, I, I couldn't feel it and I was never going to be again. Yeah. And so the doctor, uh, break it down for me and, you know, he said, look, you can keep the leg and it'll be non-functional and life will suck or we can remove the rest of it and have you on a prosthetic. And uh, so I decided that route. I didn't. I didn't want to lug this unfeeling lump of wood around me. Yeah. I just wanted to. At that point, I just wanted to get on with life. Like yeah. I'd been awake for four days, mulling everything over, yeah, talking yeah. to the nurses, talking to the doctors. I'm like, I just want to get on with life. Um, and so we took that off. And then two days later, uh, I was training in my bed. Wow. Yeah. Um, because my my greatest fear was I was going to lose my career. Not because I'm hard as nails or anything yeah. that I was training. It was just because I was terrified of losing my career. And I couldn't lay there overthinking the situation, being a victim. I needed to take some tiny little bit of control over that. And I'm like, okay, well, if I start training now, then hopefully I can fulfill this impossible dream of keeping my career and going back to work. Yeah. So from that point on, two days after having the leg chopped off, all I did was train and train and train and train and train. And, train and often cry myself to sleep. 
Is your whole family there at that point too? Do they come yeah, out? Yeah, yeah, literally. Okay. I, I'd been living in Sydney for nine years. Yeah, yeah. No one had come to visit me. <laughs> my mum would come up to Sydney to visit a boyfriend and not tell me she was in town. Oh my it, god! It took me nearly getting killed for not just them, like all of my friends from all around the country had flown in. There was because the the Navy wow. hospital was getting uh, fixed up at that point. The the Navy had a, a wing in the St. Vincent's um, okay. the civilian hospital. There was no waiting rooms or anything like that. So it was like 30 or 40 people milling around the elevators every single day. Wait, some of them went every day and didn't, you know, for a week and didn't get in to see me because they were rationing who could see me. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's um, amazing. So, was know, this like all over the news or anything like that? It was huge. Every wow. station it was on news around the world. Um, there was no Navy diver had ever been attacked like that. No and one how had old been attacked. Were you at that time? I was 31. I was just about to turn 31. And no attacks in that area either, right? Region? Not for 40, 50 years before yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. God. Yeah. So it was it was really big news. Um, I didn't know much about that at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was on morphine and ketamine all at once. I got this bulb of ketamine dripping K into my body the whole time. And I was hitting that. Yeah, my buddy Hutto would come in and he'd sneak a bottle of beer in and he'd have a beer and I'd have a shot of morphine. (laughs) (laughs) So you... (laughs) Fuck, man. So you lose your leg, but then how soon after? What about your arm? Uh, My hand was already gone. Okay. Yeah, like there's photos of it. Um, It was just as unsavable. Right. So wow. that was instantly gone. Leg was later. Um, had a lot of problems with the leg after surgery uh, because they couldn't manage the pain. And probably the worst 20 hours of my life was after that where they could not manage the pain. It was indescribable. They'd taken me out of my private corner of the hospital where it was quiet and put me into general population area. And I had a curtain around me and I could hear everyone having visitors and talking. There was a guy, like, sounded like he was dying in the bed next to me. I couldn't see. I'm in a K-hole in agony, crying for 20 hours, begging to die. And I'm like, Holy fuck, yeah. dude. It got so bad, I begged my mum to find me a gun so I could kill myself. Like, wow. the worst, I would not wish this feeling on another human soul. Just, you know, one hour, two hour, five, 20 hours rolling from side to side in my bed, crying my eyes out, wishing that the shark had killed me. And, and you can't explain it to us because we've never been bit by a yeah. shark. You know what I'm saying? Like we right, can't understand right. what he's... Yeah. It's crazy, it's man. Like, people are like, did it hurt? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, didn't, I didn't really get that for a while. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe they think, you know, the adrenaline and all that. Yeah. I'm like, roll up your, your trouser leg and go kick that coffee table, that wooden coffee table with your shin as hard as you possibly can and then times it by a million. Like that's, <laughs> that's how much it hurts. <laughs> or, so yeah. you, remember, you remember the final oh. drug that they used to get the pain to go away or just... just... It eventually... Ju- I think someone told me once that when they oversubscribe or they use a combination or you become used to something, then it can actually increase the pain. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. It cancels it out. So I think that's what happened. They never really explained it to me. Mum said she got in a lot of trouble because she threatened to run the nurses over at one point if they didn't take care of the pain. Right. Wow. Um, But eventually it did go away. And that was when I was like, okay, laying in my hospital bed thinking I've got to do something here. And that's when I started training. I was like, there's nothing. I I, I couldn't go to the toilet by myself. Like I was on a bedpan and I looked around and I saw the bar above my bed with the little handle. You used to pull yourself up to eat. And so I just started doing chin-ups with my one hand on that to try and get some blood pumping. Just feel like you're doing something. And then we tied TheraBands to the bars all around the bed. 
Um, my mates were awesome. They brought in like proteins and weights and snack foods and I sweet talked the nurses. You know, everyone was bringing me flowers and chocolates except I'm lactose intolerant and I get allergies. And so I gave the nurses all of my chocolates and flowers and they gave me double rations. Wow, uh, yeah, I like, like that. I'd lost, you know, 10 pounds in 10 seconds. This is not a weight loss regime I would recommend, but you know, I needed to keep my body fueled. I needed to keep my mind active. So I read constantly. I used the internet as my, my guiding light, mm-hmm. watching YouTube videos of Paralympians, um, dudes with no hands, climbing mounts. Like There was so much information there. It started to buoy me. I'm like, okay, this is real. This yeah. is what it is. I can either just crumble into a heap about it or I can do what the military's trained me to do. Dust myself up, get up, and make the best of the situation I've been dealt. And so I used all of those incredible people to uh, dispel my fear as to what was next. And I, okay, I've already been in the army. I've already become a clearance diver. If these people can do this, then there's no reason I can't. Yeah. And I knew that the military was going to pay for all my prosthetics and stuff. And so I'm like, okay, let's see. <laughs> where's the, the best you butte Gucci prosthetics from. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm like... Searching got, shit? Yeah. I got a two $200,000 legs. I've got $90,000 robot hands. I've got two snowboarding legs, two diving legs, weightlifting arm. You know, I still snowboard. I parachute. Like, I've got everything I need. One day, my only request is one day they come up with the limbs that just do it all so I don't have to keep changing. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah, yeah. My luggage gets I'm so heavy. And like, you have the hook too, right? I got a steel hook, like a thick steel hook. And what that is that for? That's for pulling exercises. Uh, I use it for diving. I use it for parachuting. Yeah, you're, you're, st- you're probably more than ever, you, you're so more active. It's crazy, man. Yeah, I just had to find ways to fill holes. Like, I hate running now. Mm-hmm. I don't like the blade. It hurts. It rubs my skin off. And if I try and push it, it's not like I can build calluses on the inside of my groin. You know, so yeah. like I try and push it and then I've rubbed all the skin off and I can't walk properly for three days. I get, that's just right. not worth it to me to try and get better at running. So I fill that hole with other things. You know, I just started snowboarding. Uh, I'm really, really good at it. And so now, okay, I'm, I'm go snowboarding. When's the Paralympics? What about skateboarding? Skateboarding, uh, it's too dangerous. Okay. The snow is softer. Yeah. Um, True. Yeah, I want to, f- f- I used to be a skater. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Top of the Cavalier board yep. earlier, yeah. Before I was a rapper, I was a skater. I loved it. <laughs> Street skater? Uh, I did a little bit of mini ramp stuff. Oh, shit, yeah, um, me too. I was never like really good at any of that stuff, but it wasn't the point. I just loved it. Best, right. Yeah. I love the mini ramp. I love, ca- like, that was just after uh, Back to the Future had come out too. So me and my friends, you know, we're, we're 13, 12, 13, and we're like stopping cars at the roundabout, two of us asking for the time while two of us jump on the back and get a toe down the street. Uh, when, when did uh, like a plant-based lifestyle come into play? Um, that was 2014, I think. Um, I, didn't, I knew nothing about it. Right. Yeah. I didn't even know what a vegan was. I'm not even sure I'd heard that word before. Mm-hmm. And, and I got a show to host. Um, it was originally for Xbox when they were going to do original programming. And the, but it ended up, because they didn't do that, it ended up on Nat Geo. But I, got, um, I was hosting my first uh, pilot for a series called Fearless. Yeah. <laughs> National Geographic, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was, yeah, I was going to embed you know, with 
all of these groups and individuals around the world who risk their lives to make the world a better place. Right. So it was. Seems there must have been a lot of people coming at you, knowing what had your story, and just like, were you saying like, hey, this is a, there's some opportunities that are coming about. Not really. No. Um, after the attack, all I wanted to do was get back to work. So okay. this didn't happen until later. So, oh, okay, you know, this okay. is years right. later. Oh, okay. Like, all I wanted to do was go back to work. And I proved to the Navy that I could do that. Uh, I went back as an instructor for two and a half years. Oh, okay. Um, turns out I hate teaching people to do things. <laughs> <laughs> Hated it. Plus, the hours were like 6 a.m. to 2 in the morning oh, right. for two, two weeks straight. And so I'm dying. I'm killing myself with these hours on my prosthetic, trying to prove to the Navy I can do it getting no sleep, no recovery. I'm drinking more. I'm turning angry. And I'm like, this is not what I fought to stay alive to do. Mm. And so I ended up like, I was getting offers to do speaking. Okay. But I was going to ask you, people must be hitting you up for interviews and television and all that yeah, stuff. You're hearing stinking. your story. The only thing I was more afraid of than sharks. Okay. Public oh. speaking. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I literally, I, when I was 19, I tried to get my shit together. I went to TAFE and tried to do an uh, IT course. And halfway through that course, we had to public speak in front of the class. I quit that course and never went back. Okay. <laughs> so, I, you know, I had companies contacting me when I was still in the Navy to go and talk about my experience because yeah. my recovery was so fast and amazing. And, right. You know, I had such a good mindset. I never blamed the sharks. I people wanted to hear about that. And I was like, nope, <laughs> absolutely not. And then <laughs> uh, cancer camp for kids called Canteen asked me to speak at a little kids camp and I was like ah. uh, <laughs> you, you got me because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, oh, I know the kids with cancer you little buggers <laughs> so I, I went and did that I remember walking into the room my whole body was shaking and I'm like you play with bombs you little bitch like, <laughs> you jump out of planes like you can do this. And I was terrified of these 20 children that I went in. <laughs> <laughs> I went in and I just, I just told some stories and I made them laugh and I made them forget that they'd grown up in hospitals and that yeah. after this, they were going back to the hospital. And, you know, we, we had a good time and I walked out of that room on top of the world and I thought to myself, maybe I can do that. And so I started taking a couple of jobs here and there and it just kept growing and growing and growing. Okay. To the point where I was like, I don't want to be in the Navy anymore. I don't like it. Right. Um, and I started doing that. And I was like, this is terrifying. Leaving my security blanket, a yeah. guaranteed yeah. paycheck, a guaranteed job to go. How long am I, this is going to be the flavor of the month. How long can I speak yeah, for? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm maybe a year, maybe two years if I push it. And then Shark Week came along and they asked me to do a show. And I was like, okay. But also, and then I'm like, okay, how long is this going to last? I need, I need some other plans here because yeah. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do this for. I'm not that interesting. I'm not that cool. Like, I need to have something else going on. But I didn't have anything. And yeah. so I just threw everything I had into these two new jobs. Uh, and, you know, 2023, I'm still doing both of them. And I get to live in LA. I get to travel amazing, around America. Man. I get paid to travel the world like next week i'm going to the bahamas to go and film tiger sharks and hammers and bulls and all that sort of mm. stuff so it's really been an incredible journey right it's and so incredible and do you remember the first time going back into the ocean yeah that wasn't a problem okay, okay. not at all like by that by that stage i'd been out of the water for three months and, and you still I have was, that shark fear still no wow there was literally like take it from someone who's nearly died in the most violent terrifying and horrific Facts. ways yeah death is not scary when you're there 
Right. You know what's scary? Having regrets before you die. Mm. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Because, you know, yeah. Wow. Yeah. People on yeah, there, there was a nurse that actually wrote a book about it as well. Right, you know, right. She, she was a hospice nurse and she interviewed all these people or didn't interview them but talked to them as they're dying. And she said the same thing. I'm like, it's it's 100% true. Like, like I was talking about bad. before, I'm right. like, you know, I've I've made a difference in my life. I've dragged myself up out all the shit I did to serving, having a great life, no regrets. And so death is not scary, but going to your death with missed opportunities, yeah. with regrets, yeah. with anger, yeah. sadness, all that stuff in your heart, that is what people should be afraid of because that's all you're going to have before you die. It's amazing. So this now there's an, I've got nothing left to be afraid of. The only thing that scares me now is <laughs> snowboarding. Like, <laughs> because I'm just learning, but I'm okay. also a psychopath. And so I'm trying to go as Hard. fast as humanly possible right. down this snowy hill on a stick. And there's a cliff over there. Yeah. And there's a cliff over there. And there's no fences. And I don't know how to stop. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is, I, dude, I broke my fiance's mum's arm. Are you what? serious? Yeah, a month ago. From snowboarding? From snowboarding. No, because I didn't know how to stop, and I, 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 I didn't even like smash into her hard. Like I was slowing down, but she was on skis, standing sideways, and I just kind of slid in and hit her, and she fell directly on her arm, oh, and no. bro, we had to get her take like uh, snowmobiled off the mountain. Oh, oh my, my god! god. Yeah, Lord. yeah, it was, it was oh. so bad. <laughs> but now I have this really funny joke for the wedding. Yeah, yeah. Rhiannon's mum didn't think I was very funny, so we went snowboarding, and I broke a humerus. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Such a dad joke. Um, I, I, I'm, you, sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just had to bring it back to plant based. I do, but before so that, oh, I was yeah. going to say right. it's okay. cool that you're a Will, Will Smith shark diving mentor. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had the. It's bucket list series. Yeah, I've had the opportunity Sick, to right? teach yeah. Will Smith. Uh, I got to Mike teach Tyson. Ronda Rousey how to hand feed bull sharks in Fiji. Uh, the most scare, scared of them all, Mike Tyson. Tyson. Yeah. F- threw up before or after every dive. I wanted to read something. He scares me. He scares me because I see in his eyes he has no fear. He's a bad motherfucker. That's a Mike Tyson quote about him, too. That's so hard. This is Mike Tyson said about you because Mike Tyson's a fucking badass, too. Yeah. yeah. Different, yeah. different worlds, so yeah. Yeah. He was, I got along really well with Mike. He's, um, he's very, very quiet yeah, until you get him talking about something he's interested in, like mm. you know, spirituality or history, things like that. He's really interested in. So we hit it off really well. Uh, and he had his son with him for a part of it, and he's a really good dad. He is so patient with him, um, teaching him how to be a, a man and that sort of stuff. Um, and I know you, everyone has their sordid pasts, but you can tell that he's really tried to improve himself. Oh, that's cool. That uh, yeah, it's amazing. So I had a great time with him, and you know, did a did a we shot a, a two hour movie in four days with a bunch of comedians. So oh, really? Adam Devine, uh, Joel McHale. Uh, Rob Riggle, oh. Anthony Anderson, <laughs> Damon Wayans Jr. Try flexing in front of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and so, yeah, having five comedians that are untrained yeah. and trying to keep them together and not get <laughs> eaten by sharks was probably one of the most challenging things to do. I'd be like, all right, guys, the most important thing is we stay together. They're like, yep, yep, yep. But we get into the water and they just go pew, all different directions. <laughs> like, you fuckers. Was Tyson scared of the sharks? Terrified terrified Mike plus Tyson. he was he was a terrible diver okay yeah so i wasn't even supposed to be in the water for the show 
Like I, I had to teach him in the pool. We had this big animatronic shark uh, down in Orange County. And so we brought them both in the water. We start down the shallow end and we have to move out to the deep end. And apparently he'd done a diving course, but he's moving from the shallow end to the deep end without kicking his fins at all. And he's like dog paddling yeah. through the water. And then he gets to the deep end. He can't control his balance. He's falling over backwards. I got to pick him up. He can't rest on his knees because his legs are too sore. Um, he like oh, he man. burns out after ten minutes, and wow. he can't. He like can't do anything. And so they've already told me that I'm not supposed to. I'm not going to dive. I'm going to be yeah. in the Bahamas. I'm going to be the guy on the boat watching the footage, explaining what's going on to the audience. And I was really pissed off about that. I, I'm not going to get to go diving in the Bahamas with yeah. Mike Tyson. And yeah. after I saw that. I was thinking to myself, thank God I am not diving with this guy because he's going to get killed. <laughs> I feel sorry. I feel sorry for anyone that's diving with this oh, dude. Man. We turn up to the Bahamas and they're like, production goes, Paul, you're on every dive. <laughs> oh, shit. They're like, we need you to take care of Mike. Don't, yeah. don't let him die. I'm like, oh, God. So we get down there and he tries, he's so scared, he tries to grab everything that comes near him. <laughs> that would totally yeah, be we've got him a head to toe chain mail so nothing can bite him but his face isn't chainmail he's just got the mask i'm like he's gonna lose a face he's gonna get his oh, it was bad it was nothing but bad but i eventually calmed him down got him relaxed put him on the bottom and you know it, it turned into a pretty good show showing how even the most scary you know what they used to call him the scariest man on the planet yeah, the baddest man. man on the planet showing yeah. how someone like that can be afraid so badly of something and then also overcome it yeah. by facing that fear head right. on and learning you know the old adage knowledge dispels fear yeah you know, to show that transition and that story and that you know how he did it was really quite amazing it'd be crazy to see mike tyson punch a shark oh my god i want to see anyone punch a shark yeah, i don't want it <laughs> yeah that's what happened with ronda rousey as well like somehow there in fiji they thought that Ronda Rousey had come out to fight a shark and there was like articles about it coming oh out. Ronda Rousey is going to punch a shark and all the locals were upset. I'm like, no, she's not going to punch any sharks. You're crazy. <laughs> as, if we, as if we'd allow that. <laughs> but, um, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't scary. The scariest part was her husband. Her husband's a UFC fighter. He's oh, six, oh, yeah, six right. foot eight, Travis Brown. And I've become really good friends with the both of them over the years, but the, it wasn't the sharks. It, Partially, it was Rhonda hand-feeding the bull shark and getting a limb torn off, but it was her husband on the boat that looked at me and said, if my wife don't come back on this boat, ain't none of y'all coming back on this boat. Wow. Wow. Like, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know well, we can get back to the veganism stuff too, but I know you did some you with like anti poaching team too in Africa. Yeah, some rangers. Yeah. So that's that's where the the plant based vegan life came in because that's... I was there shooting that documentary ah. with Damien Manda, um, and I spent two weeks learning how they operate as a team hunting poachers. Um, and so one night at Damo's house, uh, I saw him eating from a separate pot. And I'm thinking, oh, this cocky little bugger, he's <laughs> saving the good meat for himself and giving the rangers the shit meat. And so I called him out on it, and it was the reverse. He's like, well, I don't eat meat. The rangers eat meat. I'm like, what do you mean you don't eat meat? He's like, well, I'm vegan. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> He's like, well, I choose not to eat meat. I'm like, what are you talking about, Damo? He's like, look, I dedicated my life to saving animals, and then I was coming home, and I was eating an animal, and it made me feel like a hypocrite. 
And that struck a chord with me because all of the worst leaders I ever had in the military were always hypocrites. It was always do as I say, Mm -hmm. not do as I do. And so I've always strove to be a lead by example sort of person. Never ask, even when I was training recruits in the Navy, when I was missing my limbs and I had prosthetics, I would if they if they screw up in training, it's fifty push-ups, and so that can accrue to twelve hundred push-ups. And if you don't do them by midnight, they double. And so, wow. I I took it to the point where if they had to do them, then I would do them as well to show them that this is a good leader. Yeah. And so I would do the twelve hundred push-ups with them and whatever. And so I always strive to be that guy. And I just thought, okay, this is amazing. Um, I need to, you know, if Damo can do it, right. And it, he can still be this big weapon of a human being. And he literally stands by what he says and represents. And I want to be that guy too. So I went, okay, I'm going vegan. I went back to Bondi and uh, I lasted two days. <laughs> <laughs> Just straight vegan, not vegetarian. Stri- nothing bro, I didn't know any in-betweens. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know what I was supposed to eat. Oh and so I was like, I'm fucking hungry. Two days. <laughs> two days. Um, and so I put it on the back burner for a while and then people people that I respect kept popping up in the world my, my buddy Ian Norrington uh, who's good friends with John Joseph that's how I became friends with John um, Damo obviously and then people around me kept popping up and I, I firmly believe when the universe is talking to you it's for a very good reason and yeah. you need to listen like they're in- injecting things into your life so that you'll pay attention to them and so I initially thought eventually thought okay I need to pay attention to this and so I thought I'll try again and I'll just do it slowly and so, firstly, I, I used to eat a lot of kangaroo. I stopped eating kangaroo. Wow. And then it was piece by piece by piece over a series of six months. And, you know, the last vestige of protein was eggs. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah. I just, every time I would take something away, I'd try and replace it with three other things, which was really good because I never ate vegetables. I thought you had to eat all the chicken breasts in the world to get big and strong and muscles. And, like, I was fit, but I was never big whatsoever. Yeah. And so, I was terrified. But I just ate more. And I just make these huge big bowls of spaghetti, you know, spaghetti tofu and, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever I could find at that point. Um, and I didn't get all of those benefits that people talk about. They say, oh, I slept better. Mm-hmm. I have sleep apnea, so I never sleep well. Uh, I have like a little blue mouthpiece that I wear that helps. Um but I, and you know, people say I've had more energy. I didn't have more energy. Yeah. But what I did notice was I didn't get injuries. Mm. I didn't have an injury for four years after that, like nothing. And I used to get them all the time wow. from all my injuries in the military. Elbows would blow out, my tendonitis, right. my back, my shoulders. I didn't have a single injury that was like took me out of the game for four years. And if I did, it healed up within yes. a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah. And so that blew me away. Uh, and I just loved it. And I felt like I, I can now honestly represent what I do for a living, which is, you know, working with shark week, working with discovery channel, teaching people about this incredible animal that I've grown to love and respect and why it's so important that we need to save it. And so now I can talk about not eating and destroying the ocean. What, what is the most destructive practice to our, towards our ocean? Commercial fishing. Yes. Okay, so now I can talk about saving the oceans because I am not a part of that destruction. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, a yeah, very, yeah. very hard lesson for people to hear 
and it sucks. I know it, I grew up spear fishing with my grandfather. Wow. I love seafood. I love it. Okay. Yeah, I, if I had to give up anything, it wouldn't be seafood. Okay. But that was the <laughs> that was the thing that I had to give up mostly because that was where my existence was in the ocean. Right. Yeah. And right. I see the decimation. You know, I, my friends tell me stories of it when they're traveling and filming as well, and it's horrific. It's horrible. Um, and for anyone who has seen Seaspiracy... I was going to say that, Seaspiracy, it's heavy. Yeah, they'll, they'll see it too. And if you haven't watched it, definitely watch it. It's, it's really quite remarkable how destructive commercial fishing is on our oceans. It is, because in the media, they're like, you know, use paper straws, and it's the straws and the plastic cups <laughs> and all that. But when we watch that documentary, it's like, it has nothing to do with that. It's all fishing nets. It's so yeah, crazy it's, how yeah. it is, man. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Ninety percent of something like eighty, ninety percent of all trash in the ocean is discarded fishing gear. I definitely realized that from going out with Sea Shepherd, being able to go out on one of their uh, on their expeditions, you know, in Mexico, yeah. and they were explaining, you know, about that how they go and get those nets and yeah, and uh, it, it was I I had no idea. You know? yeah. either trust saw the documentary because yeah. I was thinking it was everything else too. You know, yeah. Um, Kip's movie, uh, What the Health, helped oh, a yeah. lot, and uh, I did Cowspiracy. Yeah, um, I tried Dominion, but I, I lasted about fifteen minutes. It was too heartbreaking. Which one? Dominion. Oh yeah, I tried that too. Um, but I was already vegan at that point. I'm like, I'm not going to torture myself. Earthling, right, er, right. Earthlings too. That's I heavy. still haven't seen Earthlings. I'm it's like, heavy. I don't. It hurts my soul now. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to be a part of it, so uh, I don't need to sell myself anymore. <laughs> and I don't, I don't preach it a lot. Like, yeah, I have a lot of friends that preach it, and they're like very big Same. vegan people have yeah. the V tattoos and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and and I get it, like I really do get it. Like there is a realm for that, and that totally. does does help change people. But I'm more of a, a quiet achiever. I, love I that. like to draw people in with right. what I do, with how healthy and fit I am. And then they find out that I'm yeah. plant-based and vegan. That, and they're like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's great. You can do this and you can lift that much and you can be fit and healthy. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You can have muscles. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm turning 46 um, in March. So like, if I can do it and still be healthy and strong, I've been doing it for six years, then like, there really isn't an excuse. Yeah. In this modern day and age. And you know, most people get their, their meat sources, the protein from the supermarket, which is factory farming which is a blight on humanity and we literally are paying money every time we go to the supermarket to fund torture and suffering. It's horrible to think that, but that is literally what people are doing. We don't need to do that. Yeah. And so I just, I don't want to be a part of it anymore. Yeah, I, f I feel like, like steak should be like a luxury. It should be like a hundred something dollars. You know what I'm saying? Like it should be like high end just to have a steak. It should be if they if they're even going to make steaks anymore. Well, if know? they all they have to do is remove the government subsidiaries, and it yeah. would be you know, yeah. D yeah. dairy and poultry and meat. Uh, the like, I mean, it's funded companies. by the government yeah. because yeah. it's yeah. too expensive. So all of the yeah, it doesn't. It's make, crazy. It's completely backwards. If anything, they should be giving money to you know people who are growing vegetables and, and yeah. grains yeah. and things like that are moving away people. from the monocrops. Right. You know, actually give them money for the organic farming and right. the, the multi-crops so they're actually supporting each other instead of these huge destructive monocrops that you know destroy the ground just as much as uh the pesticides that they're putting on them right yeah and, and it's and it's a, a horrible cycle because you know a lot of this connected with people's health and of course that's another cost on people another and everything cost. you know like with everything that's going on with like your doctors telling you from eating 
this type of lifestyle, living this type of lifestyle, it's just like cholesterol, high blood pressure, yeah. you know, diabetes. I mean, there's always been a health crisis going on in the U.S. for extremely long time yeah. Yeah. that people have been ignoring. So It's it, affordable, though. That's one of the big problems. Yeah, you know, people, and people so think vegan isn't, being vegan isn't. It's so expensive. That's like another thing. It can be expensive. It can yeah. also be cheap. Yep. Well, yeah. One of my really good friends, Josh, survives on very minimal amounts spent on groceries. And he's a big dude and he's a super fit dude. And he eats the same thing every day and he loves it and he spends like 130 bucks a week on food. Yeah. I'm, meanwhile, I'm getting like $300 from Instacart like <laughs> four times a week because <laughs> I like eating tortellini. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, some of the yeah, some of the restaurants can be expensive, but you treat yourself once, you know what I mean? Once like, in a while, yeah. yeah. I try not to eat out that much. That's crazy. You have a question? <laughs> Grab the mic. You have a question. Sorry. Good question. I was talking the mic. Don't get any peanut butter on my mic. Go ahead. Um, it's Okay, honestly, so I, I kinda, not an argument, but I have this a lot with certain people, and I want to know your perspective on people like to say, if being vegan is so good for you, this, I want to know what you have to say about mm. this, because I've heard it from so many different people. Eating meat is the way we've done it for hundreds of thousands of years from the age of time. I want to not argument. I just want to hear your perspective on what you would say to someone who's like, "We've been eating meat our whole lives. That's how. That's why we have sharp uh, canines." Like, <laughs> too, like I, no, I know, I know. But he risks like, with his friends about this for yeah. sure. Well, like, you, well, the first thing is they don't have sharp canines. I, I know they're not no. even canines. Like we, <laughs> we have two kind of not really sharp teeth. And I, I know for, it's so stupid. Yeah, but I want to know because they're like, I because everyone always says this to me. They're always like. Well, we've been eating meat forever, and it's Where's hard to get big off a vegan diet. I'm like, no, you're wrong. But I, but I want to know what you would say to someone who was like, we've been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years. Why should we stop eating meat now? And, and not about the earth itself, but as a, as a human, why are we, quote unquote, meant to eat meat? And we're bred for that, and we are mm, animals. Okay, okay. Um, nice question, Max. Yeah, well, one of the things that I do is I d always direct them to smarter people than me. That have actually <laughs> have actually put in the work and have the backing. So I would send them one over to Game Changers, done Facts. by our friend friend James Wilkes, yeah. which was debunked and and bunked back and forth on Rogan. Those are great yeah. episodes. Yeah, Chris Kessler and, yeah. and whatever and James. But um, it, have we is where's this evidence that we've this is meat was always beneficial to us and we've been doing it for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, if you look at those studies that James did. And seeing the the most athletic people were the um, gladiators. gladiators, and they cut down their bones and did the test and discovered that they were eating ninety to ninety five percent vegetables. So where is this? You know, it's you know what it is. It's a comfort to do the things that you've always done because you know how to do it. It's facts. And we've been raised to do this. And if it was the other way around. And animals were worshipped. So you know, like Muslims don't eat pigs. Imagine trying to teach them that you know you got to eat you got to eat pigs. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't work because they've always done it one way. It's a religious belief. Um, whether sacred it, cows in India, sacred cows in India, yeah, it's comfortable. Yeah. And people don't like getting uncomfortable. I believe 
in getting uncomfortable because that is where you're given the opportunity to grow and change and become the person, the strong, resilient human being that you're supposed to be instead of just staying this one path and being comfortable and everything's okay and you never learn who you are. So to that, I always, like I said, I always direct them to films because they're yeah. always going to be able to explain it better than I can. But also, where is this evidence that this is what we've been doing for hundreds and thousands of years? Some yeah. people would argue that we actually became the way we are because of the uh, foods we sow and reap. Because that actually built civilization because yeah. we were actually allowed to stop. We didn't have to roam as nomads hunting and hunting and hunting. Which is, I was, I was just going to point yeah, out. It's like point. People don't understand how difficult it is to hunt down an animal. You know, to and and then the whole process of cre- you know, making into edible meat and everything like that. Yeah. Not everybody's going to be able to do that. And we don't live in that time period anymore. Yeah. Things you change. Know, it, things have definitely radically changed, and it's unsustainable. You know, to for everyone to be able to do that, it's just not possible. Yeah. And, and there's no need for it. That's the other the you other know, angle. It, it doesn't make any sense. You know, there's a lot of things we did in the past that don't make sense now. I mean, not in yeah. comparison. You know, there was slavery. You know, but there still is still going on. But it doesn't mean that, oh, we always did that for hundreds and hundreds of years. It still doesn't make it right. Good point. You know, Great I mean, point. but it's just like nobody's going to be out. There. There's no need for people to go out and do all the hunting and stuff that people think like, yeah, that's our natural. Nobody that we know <laughs> is living in that type of lifestyle. You know, we live in big cities with a lot of people and there's a lot of different options that are out there. And there's no there's no reason to live yeah. in that lifestyle. This is, it's this not is realistic. For- Domesticated modern human beings. Yeah. There is always going to be a requirement for subsistence hunting for these small villages right. and people, nomads and things like that. Like they have to eat yeah. these animals and they have to eat live off the ocean because Absolutely. that's all they have. Yeah. And yes. there's always going to be, you know, there's gonna be a need in places like Hawaii where the deer are overpopulating and they're destroying the island. Are there other options? Yes. You know, they could take that, repopulate, they could, you know, they're going to kill it because they're destroying islands and stuff like that. But why not use that to feed homeless or, you know, yeah, there are other options to people just going out and hunting things for sport. Like, that's one thing I hate the most, especially shark fishing. Yeah, you're literally just torturing and murdering an animal for fun. And also, also like tigers and, and like rhinos and and like the people elephants. do the trophy hunting yeah 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 that, 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 that angers me so much yeah and though the one thing that I, I i hear a lot is um but we need to kill these animals uh, and these uh, to make food because it's so overpopulated you want to know why it's overpopulated is because we mass produce cows get a mass and pigs <laughs> and we mass produce it for consumption yeah. they're yes. not just there we didn't just they're not just there well and, also because know? we have interjected humanity into the world around us so greatly that they no longer have predators because we wanted to stay safe so what do we do we kill the mountain lions we killed the wolves we killed the bears so there's you know you want to have these animals there's a balance there is like these animals the antelope the deer and whatever they can produce at a certain rate because those animals need that amount of food to survive the predators it's the same with sharks we need these sharks 
they, they're slow to mature. They're slow to reproduce because we don't, they're the apex. We don't want them overpopulating. But the fish underneath them that they eat, they populate and become sexually mature very, very rapidly so that there's food for them, for the sharks to eat. You remove the sharks, there's nothing to stop that overpopulation. Mm. Those fish that the sharks eat will explode in numbers. Then they decimate everything underneath them. So you think about the fish under them that are herbivorous and they might eat the algae off the coral reefs. There's nothing for, there's no sharks eating the carnivorous fish. The carnivorous fish wipe out those herbivorous fish. Now there's nothing to eat the algae. The algae consumes the reef, destroys it, suffocates it. Now there's no home for that whole system. There's no eels, there's no rays, there's no mollusks, there's no anemones, there's none of that stuff. <laughs> so by removing sharks, you have wiped out the whole ecosystem. That's what people don't understand. By wiping out the whole ecosystem, guess what happens to that area? You've created a dead zone. Guess what happens when you create enough of those dead zones? There's a fulcrum point that you can't come back from. You've destroyed the ocean, therefore you've destroyed, destroyed humanity. humanity. So yeah. this is not just about sharks. It's not just about cows and the pollution from monocropping and agriculture and pigs that we're putting into the water tables, into the rivers, creating dead zones in the oceans, destroying the quality of water that we have in the water tables that people drink out of the taps, the cancers that are in the community around these animal agriculture facilities, the slavery that you're using and the PTSD that these workers in the slaughterhouses are getting. Like There is nothing good about this industry. Nothing, except that it feeds populations that we could feed without those animals right it seems like how long have you been vegan for now six years it seems like your world just fucking opened up completely <laughs> just by having that conversation with that guy about the killing and putting that together and you becoming vegan and then then you realize it's not just about eating animals it's about the environment and it's amazing dude well yeah. just it started with a little spark incredible. a little spark of not wanting to be a hypocrite yeah. And then it just grew from there. And the more you learn about it, the, the more you understand it. But you can feel it. your passion about it too. You know what I mean? It's, it's a really big part <sighs> like of it. It's you. hard. You know, the, you go through the phases yeah. when you turn vegan and one of them is uncontrollable fury. Yeah. <laughs> and you want everybody to, to be that way or yeah. feel, listen to you and like, do you see what's happening? Yeah. You know what I mean? Wake, yeah. shake people, wake them up, but then you don't want to be too preachy or then you want to exactly. be. Yeah. So occasionally it comes out and I'm just like, how can you be so blind how can you care so little about another living being? Like that, the, yeah. the lack of compassion is what kills me the most. Then they have the argument, oh, well, the veganism kills the crop dusters and you know kills all the rabbits. And what about the plants? Them. They're breathing too. They yeah, have feelings it's too. Like, yeah, on, like, it's like, come on. And the stereotypes are like meat to be manly and have the protein, you have to eat the meat. That's a total thing we've been... Yeah. For, talk, the world's talked about for years of yeah. fabrication of that like you well, have to get meat to muscles and all I'm, that I'm stuff I'm bigger and stronger than I've ever been like like I said I was eating all the chickens in the world I was only eating chicken and broccoli or kangaroo and I never got those muscles I'm actually bigger and stronger than I've ever been and wow I, you know, man I'm turning 46 and I'm still strong I'm st- I don't struggle keeping weight on yeah, I can um, testify to that <laughs> <laughs> I felt very weak and I was like man I need to step up my game man oh you guys when you guys are uh, yeah, doing some highway to hell stuff yeah we went to the gym and it was just like holy shit and I'm by no means a bodybuilder I'm right. not like shredded or ripped or huge but, but I also don't want to be. I'm right. not. Yeah. I'm not watching my macros. I don't count my calories. I don't do any of that. I just eat whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. And then I exercise. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um. You have three books, right? Um, Un- yeah, Uncaged, tough as fuck, and then the new one, Shark. Is that true? Three um. Books? 
No, oh, more. I, shit, I have. So the first one was No Time for Fear. That was the original one that came out only, okay. only in Australia. Okay. And then Exclusive. during COVID, I got really bored and I wrote Tough AF about Yeah, yeah. It was just a short ebook I wrote about okay. how I went from like smoking, drinking, piece of athletic shit <laughs> to like an elite military athlete, like what training I did to get there. Okay. Um, and then I wrote Uncaged, which was the updated version of No Time for Fear because. You know, there, there was like eight years worth of stories after that book that no one knew about. It was never yeah. released in America. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to rewrite this whole thing. Uh, that came out in November last year. And then I got a book with HarperCollins called I was Shark. Say, congrats. HarperCollins is no joke, man. Yeah, they're, they're really good. Um, awesome. I've been doing continuous PR out here. I did Good Morning America, Access Hollywood, oh, wow. like iHeartRadio tours. So that's going really well. It was number one on one of the um, new release um, Amazon lists uh, and I'm just about to hopefully drop my first kids book um, oh wow yeah so I was going to self-publish and then I sent it to my management and they're like don't you fucking dare self-publish this <laughs> they're like this is amazing oh, let me so let me cool. pitch it out there um, I wanted to write a series of books about things that you go through as a kid and growing up so for me the first one was about amputation Okay. So the yeah. story wow. is about Bruce, the big red kangaroo that loses his tail. Wow. Yeah, and how, you know, he calls on his friends and they go to get help and get information and eventually, you know, overcome this sort of thing. And then I want to do bullying and I want to, you know, being stories about Great. being different, you know. Yeah. What, Love it, man. That sort of thing. So hopefully that will get picked up and, yeah. But I, I I love just sharing information and books were such a huge part of my yeah, life, helped yeah. me escape the reality of my world that I just want to, you know, hopefully give some people some good stories, teach them some lessons, make a difference in their lives. I love that. What about documentary someday? Uh, actually, my friend, uh, Fran, who did Ray Parker Jr.'s and Dolly Parton's documentary and that sort of stuff. He, Fran. He started, yeah, Fran. Yeah. He, he read Uncaged and he called me and he's like, oh yeah, dude. I'm 30 pages in. The story is amazing. Is, <laughs> has anyone bought the rights to this? I'm like, ah, oh, bro, I'm just waiting for Steven Spielberg to come knocking. <laughs> so he's like, don't sell it. <laughs> so he's been talking to my managers over the past couple oh, of months. Oh, nice. So that we'll, would be great. We'll see how that goes. You know, He's an awesome director. You know, yeah. I don't I really get wrapped around the axles on anything anymore until it's actually happening. Yeah, sure. Because you, know, you, you go in this industry for so long. And you know, I, was, I got asked to be a, a recurring uh, main character on NCIS Los Angeles I was actually about acting year. stuff yeah uh, and it was like they wanted me they, like, they called me they emailed yeah. me they contacted me on social media they <laughs> called my managers and it was like my role and I'm like oh this is rad right do you have a working visa yes uh, okay does your visa say actor no oh, so, so you never I never get excited until it's actually yeah. happening anymore so we'll see uh, whatever, I don't care. I'm not doing it for that. I'm not doing yeah, it for yeah, anyone yeah. else. I'm doing it because it makes me feel good. I right. enjoy it. Uh, and if none of these things sell, you know what? At least I'll still be continuing this life where I have a bunch of cool stories. I've done a bunch of things. I've tried to help people along the way. And all I really want to feel is like I have no regrets when I die the next time. I mean, it's crazy. How you Growing up, you really had no purpose. You had no goals. You went to the military to kind of like just kind of go for it and I was like no your brothers didn't really believe you could even do that and you did that and this crazy home life and growing up and then you flip something like being attacked by a shark into, into a whole entire 
it just changed your whole life in such a positive way. It's it's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. just flipped it totally yeah, on a positive tip. It's, yeah, it's, I don't I don't. And that's almost it like anymore. not not that that's your purpose, but you're a survivor of, of a shark attack, and and you've changed into this totally different person. Not just because of that, but then change your diet and your exercise and just everything. It's it's amazing, man. Yeah. Just I honestly didn't never looked at like I did anything special whatsoever. All I did was not die. Yeah, and then <laughs> I just want my life to have purpose. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and I I like staying busy um, because I wasted too much time uh, in my teen years and my early twenties. Yeah, and I vowed that was the reason, whole reason I could get off drugs as well when I was on the painkillers. You know, I I was at home and I had oxycontin, I had endone, I had gabapentin, I had tamazepam, I had all this big bowl of drugs that I could self minister, self administer to myself. But I was living in a fog and a cloud and I didn't know how to focus on anything. I couldn't concentrate. And I thought, oh, I've been here before when I was smoking hella weed, drinking on the weekends, doing that speed and ecstasy. And I swore to myself that I would never be that person again. And so that was what powered me to get off those drugs earlier than I was even supposed to by the doctors. Yeah. And so I just, I just want to have purpose in my life and have some good stories and that's it and ha- like I said you have hel- some great help, stories help man. people along the way <laughs> yeah you know it's definitely what, achieve what's that. the point of it if you can't make other people's lives better around yeah. you as well I know I agree are you sober now too or no hell no <laughs> 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 oh shit <laughs> I love beer I love tequila <laughs> okay okay okay, okay. <laughs> but I, I don't have a problem with it okay, like okay. If, if, if I go <laughs> I go <laughs> I go oh, and drink 15 beers yeah, and yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like 15, 20 beers. I'm hanging out with the boys all day. It's okay, with you. <laughs> but I won't drink for another week. I'm like, I don't like. Right. Doesn't yeah. bother me. Yeah. I'm actually going through. I, I don't like to call it sober because I'm okay, not. Like, okay. I, I'm not trying to yeah. stop myself oh, from so doing what anything. Was somebody who's saying like you're, you're sober if you you've had a problem. Yeah, mm. like, I guess that's what yeah, people who've yeah. had issues right. in the past would say. I'm sober. You're right. Um, I just don't want to drink for the next two months and so you you know, I've got a bunch of shoots coming up I've got speaking jobs I've got snowboarding trips I just don't want to drink because I want to be sharp yeah. and so you know until I finish my jobs at the start of April um, I'm going to do my very best to just not drink yeah. if it happens if I have a beer whatever I'm not going to beat myself up it's okay yeah. yeah I'm just like okay back on it now you still mm. get nervous speaking? Mm, um, <laughs> sometimes when I haven't done it in a while uh, for the first year my trick was know the first thing that I'm going to say and the last thing that I'm going to say and everything else in the middle will be okay. Okay. And I'd get <laughs> off stage for the first year and everyone would be clapping and I would think to myself, I have no idea what I just said. But, <laughs> but they're clapping, so it must have been okay. Do you ever watch stuff back of you speaking? Never. Okay. Never. <laughs> um, I, I've been doing it so long now, I, I understand what works. Yeah. And... Um, I've really, I know how to play that up. I know how to take people on this emotional roller coaster with me, and I really enjoy that. I've, I have men cry, I have women cry, and I take them down to the yeah, deep, sure. dark depths sure, where they're like tearing up, and then it, that is like it can't get any worse, and you crack a joke. You end it on a funny, and they're crying and they're laughing and they're feeling so much, and I love that. Uh, I've had seventy people pass out. Over the years, seventy. Yeah, yeah. Not. I haven't had from, any from hearing the story. From from seeing from from me talking through it, and also showing some of the surgery photos oh, and yo, the shark man. attack footage, and people. It's funny because it's always like I'll get to like two slides after the surgery photos, and people will fall over. Um, 
and so I had like six people once at a launch for Microsoft. Six, I've, I, out of those seventy people, sixty-seven of them are men. Never had a kid, um, and I've never had an American. And so I was doing a job like I've I've moved out here and I've toned it down a lot because I don't want people passing out anymore. It used to be funny. Now it's like so hard to get people's attention back. I'm like, can you just pay attention to me now? Um, and so I, I toned it down a lot. But there was one job where I got a dude passed out. It was like a crowd of 400 here in America somewhere. And guy passed out. And I'm like, hey, my first American. <laughs> and his table yelled out, he's Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, still no Americans, which I'm fine with. Wow. Yeah. You, you have, do you have any regrets? You seem like a person with no regrets, really. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, regrets, you know, I've, I've cheated people poorly and sometimes you know I, I get tired and cranky and i'll say the wrong thing and i'm not always the nicest person on earth but i know how to say sorry i know how to you know make it better um I'm, i know i'm not an asshole even though driving around in la kind of makes me one. Oh yeah, yeah for sure yeah. Like, whew, deep breaths deep breaths deep breaths <laughs> let it go let it go um and so what's like what's like a daily like a daily ritual for you or something you do besides coffee and working out you have like a schedule like, i get up i make my bed i go to the gym I come home. I Makes his bed. Yeah. Talk Again, about we talk that about is. this on many issues. It's very, uh, it's very, very important. I come home. I eat breakfast. I walk my dogs. So I mean, just tra training. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always the physical fitness. So it was what one of the things that got me through the rehab because I had to do it all myself because there wasn't any military rehabilitation hospital. Mm. And so when they tried to send me off to an old person's hospital for rehab, I was like, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> I live at Bondi Beach. I'm going home. <laughs> and my, my best friend drove me to the army base every day. And so I just, every day I was in the gym. And so it, what I did in the infantry, it was what I did in the clearance divers. Yeah. Get up, go to work, work out. So it is my routine. Yeah. And if I did, you know, I'll do three days on, I'll do push, pull, um, sorry, push, legs, pull, workout, and then I'll have a day off. Those days, are rest days, I get to roll over and give my fiance a hug, <laughs> a little snooze in, and right. then we get up, make breakfast, walk the dogs. What's, nice. a good, what's a good amount of sleep for you per night? Oh, God, more the better. I, I'm not well, you one said of those, you're a shitty sleeper, though. Yeah, I'm yeah. a shitty sleeper, so, yeah. Um, if I can get eight, then I'm good. Oh, that's good, okay. But yeah, it's, yeah. you know, sometimes it's interrupted. The, the, other, the other day... I was doing a, a shoot for a um, a movie that I was telling you guys about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I still can't think of his name. UFC fighter that was in The Expendables. Randy Couture. Oh. Um, so I was playing a skinhead for one of his movies. And I'd had too much coffee that, that day. <laughs> and so I went home and I laid awake for most of the night Damn. in bed. And so I didn't get much sleep, but I still got up and I slept until nine instead of five or six. And That's I great, yeah. went to the gym. Is your, is your mind always work thinking about things? It's hard to shut down. No, I'm pretty good at okay. like oh, okay. at shutting it off. Okay. Um, I'm just not that intelligent, and so <laughs> you know it's pretty easy. I think that's one of the things that women don't like about men is okay. because a lot of the, I don't know what it's like now. I've never I haven't been in a relationship for a long time like that. Whereas like, what are you thinking about? And like nothing. I'm like, come on, you got to be thinking about something. <laughs> Whereas men, I think we can literally be Homer Simpson and our brain is a donkey <laughs> under a tree, like asleep. It's and true. we're just like, we're just on static, just burn. A donkey under, under a tree. tree. <laughs> yeah. So my brain often does that. Example. And I feel like that's, a, that's helped me a lot over the years, just like switching off. I can literally think yeah. about nothing. 
And isn't that's the whole thing about meditation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I don't know how to meditate because when I try to meditate, I start thinking about everything. But if I just sit down and switch off, I can do that. Yeah. Oh, lucky you, man. Jeez. Yeah, that's pretty amazing just to be able to do si- that. Silence my mind. Yeah. Um, so that's, not- <laughs> that's what I do when I can't sleep. I just try and think about nothing. Um, are you an optimist or pessimist? Uh, is there something in between? Yeah. yeah, a realist, my wife would call herself. Realist, uh, yeah. It's, I guess it's like my, my political beliefs. I'm, mm. I'm more of an independent where I believe in, you know, you have great ideas, you have great ideas. So let's just combine all the good ideas. I like that. Um, mm. So, you know, I, if I was an optimist, then I couldn't say what I said before about the books and the shows. Yeah. Ah, you know, it's all going to work out. It might not work out. Yeah. I don't know, but if it doesn't work out, then I'll deal with it and it'll be okay. My, my fiance would be like, he doesn't worry about anything because <laughs> everything always works out. Uh. <laughs> like, it's not that I'm optimist. I just have a belief that no matter how bad it's going to be, it eventually works out. Um, but I'm not a pessimist either, even though I think that most things are not going to work out. Yeah. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm just like, if it doesn't work out, cool, I'll work it out. If it does work out, cool then that'll be cool that'll be fun i'll just you know maybe it won't a lot of the things that you think are going to be so freaking amazing you you get to it and it's not that great right yeah, it's you know? true. so yeah. just enjoy the moment yeah if it's great then it's great if it's shit then it's shit feel bad for a little while but don't let it ruin your whole day your whole month or your whole life you know? I like that yeah. fix it get on to whatever else is it is you're doing since you were, since you used to be a rapper and you retired now, do you have like um? <laughs> like, uh, I never know if it was a career have, well enough that I can. Do you have like retired. a top five MCs or a favorite hip hop? Do, uh, do you listen to hip hop still or maybe even new hip hop? I definitely don't listen to new hip hop. Okay, respect. Uh, I tried. Uh, I put on that Apple Apple Rap Life one day. <laughs> I was in the car for an hour and I had to skip every every song for an hour except for one song. I can't remember who it was. I think Nas came on or something. Yeah. Um. Now I like. I, I really like 50 Cent still, even though he's not doing anything. Like 50 Cent, wow. 50 Cent and Eminem got me through my deployments. That's amazing, um, dude. Nobody ever mentions 50, but 50, yeah. Get Rich or Die Trying, the songs before that, How to Rob, all the originals, yeah. do incredible. I really man. don't get sick of his music, but Rhiannon will always, like, I've always been teased by my, my gym workout mix okay. of 50 Cent and Ed Sheeran. <laughs> I love that. I, I like to feel different things. Okay, you know, and he's all these his songs aren't like all these poppy love songs. Some yeah. of them are about getting fucked up with his boys, yeah, you know, and having you know whatever, having sex and partying and all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> but so then, M&M, but then M&M sometimes 50. there's like a catchy love song. I'm like, oh, I don't want to like feel like I got to peel someone's cap and yeah, yeah, yeah. being a gangster the whole workout. Sometimes I, I need that. to. Bring it down. Yeah, like, okay. oh, yeah. There's I'm some good-looking girls at the gym. I want to feel like, yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just take it as it comes. So, would you have a top five rapper? Top five, L- lyrically, uh, I'd have to say Eminem is probably the best uh, mm-hmm. out there at the moment. Um, Fifty, um, old Nas like Illmatic, um, definitely. Jay, Jay, like I really love Jay Z and Kanye's new the album they did together. Watch the Throne. Um, is it the Gold album? Yeah, Watch the Throne. The, yeah, yeah, that one. So I don't really have artists. I have like because artists have amazing moments. True. Like yeah. I could never listen to a Busta Rhymes album, but he was so good on guest spots. 
Like Credi- he brought man. a flavor and an energy to so many people's music. Um, same as Little John. Can you imagine listening to a Little John album? No. No. <laughs> but, I, but, I love his hits though. But, I love his yeah, songs he's right. on. That's a yeah, good point. Exactly. Yeah. And so not uh, not really. I just I love individual moments by by rappers and MCs and lyricists. Yeah, you think you ever rhyme again? Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> I went on I went on Sway forty five uh what? A, a, a few years back for uh, to promote Shark Week. Um, and did he know about your rap history? No, he didn't. It came up like as we were talking, and they're like, "What?" You went Sway in the morning? That's <laughs> yeah, sick. yeah. And I didn't know what I like. I used to, used to listen to Sway and King Tech, yeah. Um, but I didn't know he had a radio show. I didn't know Huge. that like people go on there and freestyle for like fifteen minutes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I could never freestyle. I was okay. like, I would always write stuff down. Um, and then they tried to get me to rap, and I like, I got like halfway through the first verse. I'm gonna find this smoking shit, hydro, yeah, but deep dive. I was just twenty years. Before, I was rapping before that, so smoking I hydro. That's right with the smoking. fucking. I'm listening to that shit today. <laughs> so he pulled that up on the show. Uh, no, no, he didn't. He didn't. He wow. just. He just. They asked me to rap, and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a crazy gem from Tay. I had no idea, but that's incredible, man. Yeah, we had a good time. Uh, there was the same same day that I did um, your buddy, um, me but tattooed. Oh, uh, 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 Jason. Jason Ellis. Oh, yeah, Jason Ellis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the same day I did Jason's show. Oh, wow. uh, Then I did a a whole bunch over at SiriusXM. Shout out to Jason Ellis. Badass, man. Love Jason (laughs) Ellis, dude. It's hilarious. It's such a small world. We're all connected in some way. I mean, it's Uh, pretty amazing, man. It's so cool. Um, Well, fuck, man. That was a really great hanging conversation. Do you have any more questions, Derek? I do, but I think off the mic. Off the mic? Yeah. No, no, no. No, no. You say you can ask him anything. No, I was just curious, like, how does it work in a completely different subject of, like, That's hip-hop? Fine. But it was, like, the military, like, when things happen, like, that happen to you, is it like, man, I got to lawyer up? Is it, is oh, it yeah, good question. to, like, lawyer up if you're in part of the military? They're like, no, this is your deal that we're going to give for you. We got like, your back. We got your back. We're going to give you, we're going to pay for the, or is it, like, this deal is shitty, and I need to get a lawyer. Is there are there That's lawyers within the military, or can you get outside lawyer? Or? This actually came up in the in the paperwork afterwards, and mm. um, this is what they told me. I don't know if it's one hundred percent true. It came through on the paperwork as well. It's like this is your deal. Uh, you are welcome to go and lawyer up. Okay, but we have a a agreement with the government that you can only get this amount of money out of the military. So if you lose, then you'll get nothing. Gotcha. So it's like, take our offer or, you know, gamble your bets. Maybe you'll get some, you won't get as much as we're offering you or you get nothing. And also if you do that, you don't get any of the medical benefits either. And so, you know, my medical benefits for the first year were in the $2 million range. So now I get, all my prosthetics are for free. I don't get medical treatment living overseas, though. So I only get it if I live in Australia. So Oh, wow. Yeah, oh. so that's kind of a, a bit of a dick drag. But, yeah. Interesting, interesting question. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I was yeah. curious. Yeah. Like, and, uh, so I don't know if they would be like, nope. I highly recommend people in like combat roles get in private insurance get so my my we were told afterwards to get body it's called body bit insurance okay and one of my buddies damien tomlinson who was a commando he went over to afghanistan and he got blown up and he lost 
uh, both of his legs, mm-hmm. um, wow. some of the usage of one of his arms, and he had double body bit insurance. So he ended up being able to buy a um, an apartment at Bondi Beach with the money that he got. So at least he had wow. somewhere to live without you know having to pay rent good, and stuff like that. Whereas I ended wow. up with you know a couple hundred grand. Wow. And yeah. yeah. And is is there like um, prosthetics? That's called correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there companies that are making more new stuff that you're excited to try? Okay. Are you happy with what you have right now? Or you seem like you have all kinds of. Uh, yeah. I'm, look, I'm happy with what I have. Yeah. I'd love it to be better. Um, but the problem is <laughs> the problem. The war stopped. That's the problem. Mm. Um, not, not in the way people think. Like, I don't mm-hmm. love war at all. But every technological advancement has come throughout human history because of war. And so when all the American soldiers were coming home, missing limbs and stuff like that through Iraq, through Afghanistan, the American government were throwing millions and millions and millions of dollars into R&D for these companies to get better and better. Uh, and now that that has died off, the, um, the innovation has slowed down. Gotcha. So right, it went from right. like pretty good stuff to absolutely phenomenal stuff where, you know, my leg has six microprocessors in it, a, an accelerometer, a gyroscope, it's waterproof, it's got a running mode, it's got a free swing mode, it's like all this stuff, but it's not getting much better as quickly as it was before. Right. Same with the hand. I've had this hand that hasn't advanced in any way that I'm aware of in right. 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. But it came up to this hand very, very quickly. You know, it advanced okay. very quickly to get to this during the wartime mm-hmm. um and so that's that's you know i would love it if it got quicker but yeah there's unless people are in jail the best thing about what's happening with prosthetic technology is this stuff that i have is so damn expensive people normal people can't afford it yeah so mm-hmm. there's other companies out there uh there's one company called unlimited tomorrow that has created an amazing prosthetic hand uh and it's probably eight grand Okay. okay. That's way more affordable right. yeah. than forty-five to ninety thousand yeah. dollars, and they're great. They look great. They've mm-hmm. sent me one. That you know, there's some failings that I don't like about it, um, because I have the best in the world. But for yeah. someone that doesn't, and this is their first hand, eight grand, you know, that's amazing, and yeah. it's innovative, and they're gonna keep getting better and better yeah. and better. So, yeah, there's companies like that around that have brought the cost price down for normal people. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing that's happened. That's amazing. I remember seeing like even back in the day, like people had wooden ones like a long time ago. Remember, like just oh, way yeah. back. It was. Right. I mean, it's crazy how far it's come. Thank God for smart people. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I if it was left it. up to me, I'd be pretty good at Halloween. I, I, I but definitely. That's yeah. about it. I'm thankful for those smart people. Absolutely, every day because I'm just like I don't know how any of this stuff works nope. or yeah. putting none of it. But I love seeing technology advance, and it's sad that it only comes about because of war. And it well, just yeah. It's not strictly no, 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 solely, I know, but, I know, but things like this, yeah. yeah. But man, it's like, come on. It's like, I, I was thinking as a young lad that things would be so far advanced by now. And That's because we they, grew up yeah. with the Jetsons well, back to true. the future. Oh, I think the mindset was there. It's just that there was so much other bullshit that's surrounding us that we're, you know, pushing yeah. our time and effort and, yeah. and thoughts well, and there's imagination. Also these, there's corporations holding us back because they're Absolutely. making so much money off what they have always made, you know, the petroleum industry and uh, that sort of thing. Um, you know, we won't even get into big pharma, but right. petroleum industry <laughs> specifically, like Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and all that sort of stuff. You know, we had electric cars in the, like the late 1800s. 
Mm. You know, but yeah, we we you know do you know why you know there was a, uh, a subway railway system in LA? Yes. Right? Yeah, up yeah, yeah, until yeah. the sixties. Right. You know why that got cancelled? Yeah. Because they def- they created Water a freeway. Yeah. Like, oh, we don't need this anymore. Now we got freeways, and then you know the rubber industry as well. You don't think about that. How much money is involved in making tires? Then the you know. The it's petroleum crazy. industry goes into everything, every part of our lives, from the plastic kayak that these uh, environmentalists are paddling out on and to <laughs> the medication. It's uh, everything. You know? yeah. So mm-hmm. that holds us back because yeah. they control, they have their fingers in every single industry. And so we're True. not going to be able to advance until they give us that opportunity or someone else strikes out. Maybe like Elon. You know, I'm no Elon worshiper or anything like that. But it's hard not to think maybe he's doing some great stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not yeah. that smart, man. You know, <laughs> I'm not that smart. I can get a little philosophical, but I know my limitations. I'm just a simple man trying to do good things. That's it. Well, you are, man. I yeah, really appreciate man. you being here and sharing your story. And Definitely it's super inspiring, man. Yeah. It really is, man. Cheers, fellas. Great to Thank finally you. meet you in person yeah, and hang. Too. I'm excited to see what you, what you guys do with Highway to Health too when that yeah, comes out. It's going to be a lot of fun. See, so you get your ass kicked people, on there, Derek. Yes, you're going to see whooped. <laughs> <laughs> and people just can find you if you have a website, Instagram. Are you on social media? Do like you check your messages and stuff like that? Uh, not really. Okay. Uh, I don't. I really don't like social media. Okay. I do use it because Discovery Channel makes me. Okay. So, <laughs> but I usually just, I'm on my Instagram and I post to Instagram, then it automatically goes to my Facebook. So okay. I don't use Facebook at all. Yeah, same. Um, I kind of, it was like, Facebook wore me out. It was like everyone extremely exhausted. Yeah, it's got crazy. <laughs> everyone's on there. airing their dirty laundry, whereas Instagram was like everyone showing their best life. And I was like, oh, this, is cool. <laughs> this is cool. I get to, I get it to be inspired by all these cool things, and now it's crazy like, political on Facebook. Like, on my Instagram, there's literal pictures, videos coming up of chicks with no clothes, and I'm like, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> I thought, right, I right. thought that was banned. Now there's, Same. there's yeah. porn on Twitter, and I'm like, why am I getting all this garbage? So. I'm not really that interested. I do use Instagram. It's just my name. Everything's my name. Well, you check, you check messages from people? Yeah, I do occasionally, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So Paul DeGelder, my website's, website's pauldegelder.com. Um, you can book me for speaking jobs on that or you can get in touch with my management for TV shows and documentaries, whatever it is. I'm psyched for your children's books. It sounds really yeah, awesome. Me yeah, me too. This is, I love working with kids. Yeah. You know, they were the ones that got me into the speaking industry. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Made me feel the best and so hopefully I can help out the kids. When will those books come out? This year, maybe? Uh, I was going to um, self-publish like next week. You were told but, not to, though. <laughs> yeah, now it's up to my managers. <laughs> and they're going to get back to me within the next week, they said, and tell me what they got. So we'll there, see. Can you say the names of the books at all? No, you have names? Well, the, the first one was just a, like a litmus test. So okay, this, okay. Is, this is Bruce the Big Red Kangaroo that That's loses right. his tail. Uh, Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> so we'll see if, if that gets picked up. You know, I wrote that book in half a day. Wow. So it's so much easier than writing a normal book. I'm, <laughs> you know, I got to spend six months to a year writing all the other books. Yeah. Then I got to get my buddy Geraint, who's a you know a Welsh Iraq Afghanistan vet. Vet. Um, he's a ghostwriter for James Patterson. He's done his own fictional books about the Romans fighting the Gauls. Wow. He's done his own book about his time in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's like ghost-written books for incredible people. So every, I give my my books that I write to him and then he turns them into a legible... Okay. <laughs> legible writing. Right, right. Yeah. How's your grammar? I, I, my mum was a grammar Nazi, so oh, my oh, grammar's right. fine. It's just I write how I speak and so Same. I've learned to change that somewhat but not as good as you know he's a professional writer. Yeah. Yeah, he can pump out he can pump out a, a James Patterson novel in four to six weeks. Damn. Yeah, with no li- very little instruction from James. 
So he's just incredibly talented. He just did a book with uh, another one of our friends um, about the evacuation of Afghanistan. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but that's just coming out now uh, from the people on the ground, from the Afghans, oh, wow. from the soldiers. You know, the frontline troops there were the, the British paras, the American Marines. Um, so, you know, everyone on the ground, no influence whatsoever, telling the true story of what happened with that horrible evacuation from Afghanistan. Wow. Yeah, so that's going to be a really good book. His name's Geraint Jones. Uh, so look him up. I definitely want awesome, to check that awesome. Out. Well, thank you for being here, man. I really yeah, appreciate that it. That was incredible. Pleasure. Was incredible. You hungry? Awesome. You hungry? Yep. Stop yes. Stop <laughs> All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Peace. I always ask my guests if they have any regrets. I personally don't have any regrets. Even when it comes to my tattoos, I have the silliest tattoos. Even my ET on my leg, it's still a childhood memory for me, and I love it. I've had tattoos on top of tattoos strictly because I wanted more tattoos. I started getting tattoos when I was 18. I'm 52 now, and I can't stop. I've had lazy treatment before on something on my arm. It's four tattoos on top of each other, and that experience at that place was pretty fast. It was pretty cold. It was in and out, swiped the credit card, don't really tell me much, didn't give me much details or anything was going to happen. So I never went back. So as of most recently, I'm so lucky enough to have had two sessions at Removery Tattoo Removal. My tattoo on my arm that looks like a big black blob is now super light. I've had two sessions. I have a long road ahead of me. None of this stuff happens overnight. You cannot take a tattoo up in one sitting. You have to be patient. And it's painful. They ice you up. It's super fast. To me, it felt like a bunch of rubber bands. But what's more painful than that is looking at something on your body that you think you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That sucks. But now for me, I'm really happy I started this journey. I'm slowly going to get this tattoo removed. I never thought in a million years I have any kind of real estate on my arm. I don't even know what I want, but it's exciting. I'm so honored to announce that One Life, One Chance podcast is now with Removery. I have a code. Use TobyH20 and get $100 off your first session. Call 866-934-4570. Or go to removery.com, one of the most experienced tattoo remover companies in the world. Over 600,000 remover treatments done, 100 locations, U.S., Canada, and Australia. State of the art peak away laser technology, cryotechnology to reduce any discomfort. This is so exciting for me because all I do in these podcasts is talk about tattoos. From day one, if you've been listening to this podcast, we talk about tattoos, talk about getting removed, talk about getting covered up. So, this is such a perfect fit for me. Once again, go to removery.com. Or call 866-934-4570. Use my code TobyH20 and get $100 off. These guys are located everywhere. Try it out. Yo, people always ask me what kind of frames I'm rocking. I've been rocking Caddis for a couple years. They make amazing progressive readers, which I wear. Also, they make sunglass readers, anti-glare, anti-smudge coating, anti-scratch, and anti-aging. That's why I look mad young when I wear them. I'm just kidding. Um, but they make amazing frames. Caddis, so stoked to have you guys part of the podcast. You can go to caddislife.com slash Toby10 and get $10 off your first purchase. Stoked. Thank you, Caddis. Welcome to the fam. Yo, yo, Liquid Death. Thank you so much for hydrating all my guests, taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water. Love your brand. Love what you stand for. Love you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. 
Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. They have now blessed me with my own code. So if you go liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. Thank you so much, Liquid Death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst. Stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives.